Holly Gamination, GM Hurley here. Tonight's episode of The Forge, a Genesis RPG podcast, is brought to you by the generous donations of all of our amazing Patreon supporters. If you would like to become part of the Forge community, you can learn more at patreon.com forward slash Forge Genesis. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help support us in continuing to provide you with amazing Genesis role-playing game content. Thank you to all of our fans for reblogging, retweeting, sharing our latest episodes, along with those who offer support and encouragement for this podcast. It truly is appreciated by both Chris and, of course, myself. For now, however, it's time for another episode of The Forge, a Genesis RPG podcast. Welcome to the Forge. Hello, Gemination, and welcome back to the Forge, a Genesis RPG podcast, (laughs) where we cover everything that you need to know about the latest and greatest in Edge Studios' Genesis Foundry and the Genesis role-playing game. I'm your host, if you remember, GM Hooley, and in staying as Australian as possible, I uh, have to tell you that tonight's episode is going to be an absolute ripper. Because this episode, we return after many moons away from it uh, to our discussion on crafting new species and archetypes with a focus on presence-based archetypes, which I'm really looking forward to discussing. Too Uh, right. (laughs) I'll get to you in a minute. (laughs) But uh, we've also invited special guests and wallabies in training, shall we say, uh, Phil and Brett of Studio 404 Games, uh, to talk to us about the amazing Electrum bestseller on the Genesis Foundry, Megasis. Can't wait for that. Uh, this is a supplement that empowers players to create fantastic, towering robots for use in their campaigns. And lastly, we'll be opening up the mailbag to answer more games and rules questions that you can throw a thong at in Under the Hammer. And that's not a thong in that way that you're thinking. This is an Australian thong, which is, I don't know, what do you call them in the States? But anyway. I have no idea. I, I, uh, a, thong, a thong is a, a, a very scantily clad piece of underwear or a bikini part. Well, this do, is an Aussie have... term I, I, I'm not aware of. Do you have flip-flops? Oh, okay. Yeah, there are some parts of the States where we use that terminology. We call them thongs. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we do. Okay. Yeah. No, that's just that. Yeah. 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 Very yeah. Good. I, don't, I, don't, I don't hear it so much anymore, probably due to the confusion. <laughs> but anyway, as you can hear, the person that I'm talking to, let me introduce to, to the least Australian person that I know. <laughs> it's Jim Chris. Chris, how you going, brother? <laughs> I'm good, mate. You think I'm the least Australian person you've ever met? <laughs> uh, Maybe a little. <laughs> but 
But you yeah, do a good uh, effort. A good effort I, I, on the on the, the accent <laughs> side of things. I, I, I try. I try. I try. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's good. It's good. I'm just glad to be podcasting uh, again. Yes. It's been it's it's been a while. I actually have an office again, which is wonderful. I I, I moved. Yeah, I moved in the spring. New house, and um, yeah, I'm finally I'm finally getting set up. Uh, I, I even have a game cave. In the oh, wow, that's um, cool. Yeah, the the new home um, had uh, in the it's a, it's a two story home and in, and the second story, um, I think the prior owner who built it uh, to to have a place for his his elderly mother to to be with them, he basically built a, a mother in law suite upstairs. So it, it's got a little kitchenette and it, like a little living room and and a bedroom and an attached full bathroom. Hmm. As my wife and I were moving in and stuff. We were like, you know, we could just turn this into like, you know, the bedroom could become an office and a podcasting place and, you know, a library. And we could take this little living room and we could just turn it into like a fortress of gamitude. <laughs> and and I was like, really? And and she was like, really? And I and the, what I'm trying to say, Huli, right. is there are best wives and there are bestest wives. And I have the bestestest wife. <laughs> <laughs> I do love Kay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, she, she, awesome. she is She is the best assistist. She also got me a resin 3D printer for for my birthday. Uh, which uh, How cool is that? Yeah. Have you yeah, worked yeah, yeah. out how to use it yet? Oh, yeah. I've already made oh, some prints. Nice. Ooh. Very cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very cool. But, yes, there's <sighs> been moves. Moves abound. Because uh, I've also moved um, from one one place to another, a much smaller place to save a bit of dollars. And um, I, I like yeah. your I like your office setup. Though. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's it's got like a this. I've taken over one of the bedrooms, which is great. But um, it's got a nice little area where I can have all of my many many books behind me, and it's and it's lots of fun. It's where it's where I make the magic happen. As opposed to the room next to me, where I make the other magic happen. But that's a that's that's, no. that's a very different podcast. This is still a family friend. This is still a family friendly affair. Um, you know, it and, and, it and, it, you know, I don't, you know, and you can talk. I don't, I don't want to hear about you getting all hot and bothered because we're we're gonna get we're gonna get hot and bothered as as things start to heat up very heavily and get sweaty and I, and I pull my collar back from my neck in one of those. Gestures, um, <laughs> as 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 I really lean in, Huli, to start mm. stoking the fire. That would probably have to be the best segue you've ever done. Well See, done. F- Fifteen years of podcasting leads me to that. <laughs> Thank you. Stoking the fire, and welcome to Stoking the Fire, a segment dedicated to letting you learn all there is to know about the releases from the Genesis Foundry and the Genesis role-playing game. But first, Chris, would you like to tell us about the D20 Radio Podcast of the Week? Ooh, would I? Um, if it's not obvious, <laughs> we loves us some Genesis. And if you loves you some Genesis, and you want to get even more of a Genesis fix then honestly, actual play is where it's at. And there's few better places than the Genesis Archives podcast. Mm -hmm. The crew, the amazing crew of Nathaniel, Jonathan, Caitlin, Xander, and Amy return in their most recent episode, uh, just released last month, uh, to the Confessions Saga, which is an 
awesome story they're going through uh, with part four titled Absolution. Imprisoned beneath the earth by the Inquisition and tortured by the cruel hand of the Confessor. The gang is lower than they've ever been, but hope is not lost and help can come from surprising places. And it does. And you should listen. <laughs> and for those of you who have not been following along with this wonderful story, it was a really great episode. And if you've just not picked up the Genesis archives yet, do so. They are phenomenal. And you can find them and more amazing gaming and geekery podcasts over at d20radio.com. That's absolutely right. But don't forget that after you've given this fantastic podcast a listen, and if you want some examples of really good role play uh, and really good um, live play, that is the podcast to go and check out. Uh, but make sure you also check out the other amazing stuff uh, at, um, in particular, blog articles over at d20radio.com. You're right. You're right. And when you're right, you're, you, when you're right, you're right. Right. Too right. right. And, right. <laughs> and, and look, I, I know I'm biased. Okay. But in the wake of April's triumphant return of Gamer Nation Con 007, another mm. thing that has that that just sucked six weeks of my life away in prep for that pretty, pretty much <laughs> yep. so it's been a, it's been a very busy spring guys we're very sorry um uh we we you know three years without a convention and now we decided to get one put it on and it's, it's it was great um we had some incredible staff articles about the con experience uh from two of our attendees uh who are also staff writers uh staff writer ben erickson returned to his workshop series with a con retrospective that was wonderfully done uh, really about the con itself and some high points but our own editor-in-chief of the d20 radio blog wayne basta also parted and posted an article detailing in-depth actual reviews of the various rpg and board games he played at the con um which was a phenomenal read so guys be sure to check that out along with other fantastic blog articles daily at d20radio.com and uh while you're surfing the aforementioned interweb why not head over to the genesis foundry at Drive Through RPG, where you can find the latest and greatest Foundry releases for the Genesis role playing game. Indeed. But more recently, there's been a lot of movement, not necessarily on the uh, uh, on the Genesis Foundry, but at Edge Studios themselves. I know we spoke about this uh, last episode. Yeah. But um, a big announcement came out of them, which was a bit of a surprise to everybody. And a lot of people are going crazy about it. Uh, is that Ed Studio announced an open call for writers? Now, this is something that they haven't done since the what? Just before they got the Star Wars license? Uh, oh, or yeah, just before for, they. For- yeah, yeah, I mean, well, Edge has never done it. The FFG oh, obviously yeah. did. I mean, back when. Um, but that's that's that that's kind of amazing, and everyone's kind of wondering like what the next project is going to be. Mm. Um. And dude, I mean, you can go, you can go to the website or or to their Facebook group and get all the deets, um, and 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 put in yourself, you know, for for an application if it's a stream you've wanted to do, and you mm. wanna you wanna send them some writing samples. You just may have the opportunity to contribute, and that would be amazing. Mm. Mm. Um, I know that uh, uh, several of my near and dear friends in the industry, including yourself, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, have have done work uh, on on the next product soon to be coming out, uh, which of course is the Twilight Imperium sort. Book. Oh yeah! <laughs> um, wow, I cannot wait for that. Uh, obviously, uh, coming coming out, but uh, they they actually gave us some new TI stats um, uh, for the role playing game in an unlikely but also kind of likely place. If that makes any sense, <laughs> um, in a new free uh, to download codex for the Twilight Imperium board game. Uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, which was which was fantastic. Uh, we got to meet uh, um, uh, Zik Mita, um, a Yusarl assassin for hire and former member of the Kelleris, uh, including her stats and gear. Uh, we had great new story stuff to go along with the character um, uh, by the Forge's very own Sam Gregor Stewart. That's right, Sam. We own you now, Sam. Uh, <laughs> not really. Uh, sorry, man. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, also, sorry. Um, this also includes the release of a new faction for the board game, the Kelleris, uh, previously mentioned. Um, this is the organization characters belong to in the TI setting for Genesis. So this is not just like like what we're getting a glimpse into is like what and, and what what we've learned from this guys and gals <laughs> is that it's it's not just that they're they're genesifying the twilight imperium setting there is new content new fluff new narrative such as the keller s that have been introduced and that that world building for the role-playing game is now warming its way back into the actual <laughs> board game it's like that's like it's like poetry it rhymes um <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yeah. It is, uh, when we saw it for the first time, having worked on the book, which I can't talk really much about other than, yes, I was involved and, uh, yes, uh, I was on part of the writing team. Yeah, the Keller S has already been announced as, uh, as being a big part of that. Uh, so, um, yeah, it, it was just an amazing thing to see that it's gone over to the board game. So, um, yeah, that, that just shows that, uh, Edge and Fantasy Flight are still working really well together, uh, both with Legend of the Five Rings and with uh, other universes that uh, that they're they're obviously working together with. So uh, it's really really good. Another thing that also came out of Edge is that um, more reprints are arriving around the world, uh, including Dice uh, and uh, many of the books from uh, both Genesis and the various Star Wars lines. Um, all with the new Edge logo. So all of you completionists, and you know who you are, <laughs> you've got to buy everything all over again. <laughs> or don't. don't just, or don't. Or, or don't. <laughs> uh, I, I, think, yeah. I, think, I think it's more like you completionists who, who found um, Star Wars late and missed out on a lot of the uh, a lot of the Edge of the Empire books, yep. or di- didn't pick up some of the newer titles that did smaller runs, mm. um, some of the Universal books. This is your chance. Yep. Um, they're 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 kind of they're ta- that's clearly what they're tackling first is is uh, some of the oldest of the of the printed Edge content um, for Edge of the Empire and and some of the Universal books that came out with as well that had had yeah. smaller runs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really good to. To pick up that, and um, yeah, they've already said that uh, there's going to be more Star Wars. Um, what that entails, who knows? Who, who so. knows? <laughs> who knows? No one knows. I, don't, I certainly don't know. Um, what I do know is mm. that also, guys, uh, there, there's been a, a tremendous amount of new content on the Genesis Foundry uh, since our last principal episode, um, which, uh, which is now available. And we will be talking about in, in our brand new micro episodes, uh, Fuel for the Foundry. We, as we've said, guys have been for months insanely busy with work, personal issues, two, both of us moving houses, a <laughs> convention, uh, planning and running it. But we're getting back on track. So look out for more episodes of Fuel for the Foundry covering both current and past releases very soon. But Huli, as we do, mm. for today, mm. do we have a product spotlight? Look, we do. And um, one product for this episode that we'd like to give a special mention to 
um, in our Foundry product spotlight is a product that's not actually on the Foundry and unfortunately can never be. And that ah. product is the old world grim and perilous, uh, a Genesis RPG conversion of the setting for the Warhammer Fantasy RPG. Specifically, in this case, uh, what I'll specifically mention is an adventure called The Circle. But I'll also talk about the, the, the main core RPG as well. Now, The Circle is a free 51-page adventure with everything that you need, including character portfolios uh, and, uh, and the like. Uh, this is a creation by Marus Szymanski and Barbara Szymanska um, and Dave Brown, just for a different name there. Uh, and can I say, for a free product, wow. <laughs> the the artwork alone is worth the price of admission. Actually, to be honest, uh, it's worth actual dollars since it's free. Um, I believe in, in them so much that I'm putting my money where my mouth is, and I'm even teaming up with them for a special re-release of a product that I know many of you love, but I'm not going to talk about it now. I'm, I'll... I'll uh, that's a story for a different time. But uh, I wish these guys could make money from this supplement uh, and their core rules. It's absolutely brilliant. It's gorgeous. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm... Wow. Yeah. I, I'm lost for words when it comes to it. Uh, but um, check them out on Facebook by searching for The Old World, Grim and Perilous. Uh, we'll also put a link in our show notes because, well, that's what the cool kids are doing these days, uh, apparently. <laughs> so, so yeah, go and check that out. It's absolutely, it's a gorgeous uh, production that they've done, and they've done it with full knowledge that they can never make any money out of it. It's wow. it's great. It's really labor great. of love, indeed, wow. indeed. Oh well, speaking of love and lovers um and and the cool kids and what they're doing these days mm. um I, I i think i think that's a really good segue to lead us kind of into into the principal meat of tonight's show um the the furnace because we're going to be talking about the lovers and uh the connivers and um and 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 the leaders and and really the cool kids the cool kids when you really get down to it <laughs> of the archetype and species world what, what do you say Cooley? do you want to you want to kick this pig? I think we should. I honestly thought you were going to say, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, lovers, dreamers, and me. And I was going to say, thanks, Kermit. But anyway. Ah. <laughs> Hi-ho. Uh, hey, Holy, you want to uh, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna get into the, the furnace? That sounds like a good that's plan, a, Kermie. <laughs> that's, that's a terrible, terrible Kermit. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. <clears throat> no, no. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. The Furnace. And welcome to The Furnace, the segment where we take a deep dive into a topic concerning custom creations using the Genesis role-playing game. Now, tonight we're going to return to our much-loved segment series on the ins and outs of archetype and species creation. At least much love based on the feedback you guys have all given us. Uh, so when it comes to creating your own setting or world in Genesis, or even expanding upon an existing one, uh, archetypes and species can be some of the most critical components for players. You're not wrong. Well-designed and thematic archetypes and species go just 
a really long way to imparting the tone and feeling of a game, but the balance of your game can be seriously impacted if those species are not built in a proper way. Now, way back in episode four, set set the way back machine (laughs) to episode four. We began the first in a series on the topic of archetype and species creation, focusing on, in that episode, overall rules for species crafting, and then honing into serious detail on species archetypes, specifically with a high bronze score. In episode seven, we continued with a look at high willpower, species and archetypes. In episode nine, we worked with you on crafting those cunning-focused species. In episode 11, we sped things up with high agility species and archetypes. And in episode 24, we got all brainy with high intellect species. And as we always say, and often give people directions to after asking us questions about archetypes and species creation, we strongly recommend that you go and give those a listen uh, if you're new or perhaps even a re-listen if you're an old hand to our show, Uh, specifically to episode four, because in that episode, we covered the basics of archetype and species creation with rules and best practices that we'll be referencing tonight. Now, this episode, however, sees a return to the more non-physical focus archetypes and species. Today, we're going to dig into those with a high present score. The cool kids. Suave. <laughs> conniving. Charming. Inspiring. High present spe- species represent some common and classic archetype concepts, uh, which we're going to break down while including the best practices to develop your very own archetypes and species abilities for those concepts. Mm-hmm. So bo- boilerplate is man. We got, we got to do it. It's been a minute. It's been a minute and we got to do it. <laughs> it has been. Now tonight we will not be discussing the core rules of creating a species. The six parts of a species XP costing when changing those parts, all of that. Again, please go and take a listen to episode four, where we cover all of that in the first half of our furnace segment. So basically, there's no use us going over it again and repeating it. And we're going to proceed assuming that you know what the hell we're talking about. So tonight, we're simply going to be applying all of those rules to a new archetype and species focus. If, and that would be presence-focused species. Mm, Indeed. So, Chris, let's sort of go through, as we do when we're doing this, we kind of break these things down a little bit. So, let's talk about building a present-focused archetype with um, the first sort of the the oddity of presence and what that actually means. Yeah, and, and this this is kind of unusual. It really doesn't apply to the other five attributes, but it does with presence. Um, what's really weird about it is that unlike any other attribute, with one exception, it governs one primary set of social skills. That's it. Social skills. The Sort of. The exception is if you're using bardic magic, but we'll come to that. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, cunning, willpower, intellect, even brawn and agility, they have general skills usage outside of the focus sets of combat or knowledge skills. But not presence, not really. Presence is only in terms of the core rules used for four skills. That's it. Charm, leadership, and negotiation, and cool. Yes, cool is a general skill. Yes, cool is an initiative skill. But it's also a defensive social skill from a post-check standpoint. 
Okay. Mm. Um, socially focused characters are often going to have ranks and cool for that reason. Okay. Mm. Mm. Um, so it's really kind of odd. And, and in a way, when, when we started coming up with, with our, our advice to you all here, guys, and we're putting together our show notes on this, uh, you know, initially we were struck by the fact that this might be kind of limiting because, because in prior episodes of this type, we, we've really spent time talking about like, like classical RPG tropes and focus roles, usually three, um, around an attribute focused archetype. And initially we were like, that's really hard to do here because there aren't any other skills to sort of lump into the generalized focus, right? Right. But uh, that's under normal sta- circumstances. This would be quite odd and and quite limiting, as you say. But the reality of RPG play is that for presence, it's just not. No. Nobody, nobody whines or complains that, oh, no, I don't know what to do with my high presence. <laughs> <laughs> In fact... The presence-focused trope of a character has such a valid value and traditional place in RPGs that some game groups often have multiple PCs who want to fill that niche. Now, having yeah. said all that, there are some key focus concepts that you can actually shoot for. Yeah. Now, the first of those um, is the focus it embodies. So... And as we said, there's kind of four of those. So the first one that we have is the silver tongue. Now, that's going to be using skills like charm and cool and negotiation. It's the consummate face of the party, you know, the diplomat and the talker. It's all about getting people to do what you want or giving you what you need. It's really the the classic face character yeah. what people what people think of and in genesis terms yeah man charm cool negotiation yeah exactly um now a corollary to that um in and really the next second focus uh is one that we call the captain all right from a present skill standpoint this this is someone who would focus on charm cool and leadership these are the inspiring leaders of a group diplomats yes but with a focus typically on buffing their allies. These are characters that are highly likely to take the inspiring rhetoric talents, right? Mm, right. And that's a very different focus than the silver tongue. Even, yeah. you know, e- even though there's just, you know, from a, from a present skill standpoint, just really one skill differentiation instead of negotiation leadership. But hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. But very, very different role. Very different role. Yeah, very different role. The next one that we've got is what we would like to call the merchant. Now, they're going to be using skills like cool or negotiation and leadership. And uh, these are people like traders or caravan leaders and characters with a serious protective parent vibe. Um, You know, they're brokering deals, advising their party, protecting them from stupid decisions, as PCs tend to do. (laughs) And the focus here is less about being a champion, like the, the captain focus, but more about being a realist, maybe even a grizzled and and world-weary type character, but still be the face of the party. Yeah, yeah, but still very different roles. I mean, these are what we've gone through are three faces of the party that just take very different tacks in how they do it, okay? Mm-hmm. And the fourth, we, you know, we, we decided to do four for this focus because we have to talk about a fourth, and we, we can't not talk about it, <laughs> and that's going to be the bard. Yeah. All right. 
the you know key key presence based skills there are going to be charm, obviously, leadership, obviously, and verse. Okay, we we can't not not talk about that as I, as I alluded to before. There is one other non-social skill based on presence, um, and that is the verse magic skill, which is currently only published in Realms of Terranoth. Yeah. Um, having said that, Terranoth itself, that book was was one of the, one of the many amazing things it did was it opened up the concept of bardic magic and the verse skill and mm-hmm. and what the verse magic skill could could attempt in terms of spells um in terms of the of the core six spells in the the core rule book mm. so there's no reason the other fantasy settings can't use it you know i mean again it the bard is very much a, a silver tongue to a degree but but also very much a captain but the big thing is verse it's magic bardic yep. magic yeah yep with a nice bit of charm thrown in <laughs> quite quite a bit Oh, I love um, watching The Witcher. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to coin. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, I yeah. can listen to that song forever. Anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> so what are our considerations when we're going to be building a presence-based character? Yeah. So the the first question we've got to ask is, what is your dump stat going to be? Now, yeah. to be honest, it it varies. There's no obvious choice here, and it depends on the focus that you're basically going for. So for for each focus, let's talk about dump stat possibilities, and those should uh, and those you should really avoid dumping into. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the silver tongue first. Yeah, um, the silver tongue. You know, when it when you think about what what attributes, what stats you want to dump, and which ones you want to keep. Coming from a dump standpoint, brawn is the obvious choice here. Okay, uh, as classical face characters aren't known for being beacons of strength. Um, yes, the, the the swashbuckler, which I think is, is is it kind of kind of fills in the silver tongue vibe, um, certainly does fit the theme and focus. And so you might be thinking, oh gosh, I, I melee, I don't want to dump brawn, but you know. Realms of Terranoth, in addition to introducing bardic magic, also introduces to the incredible finesse talent, mm. uh, <laughs> which allows it for a character to use agility with melee attacks, which is a, a phenomenal talent. So there's still kind of a way around that. Mm. If you're not a fan of brawn, though, another potential option for dump is willpower. Um, as as the, the theme of the face character can often be one with inherently low discipline. <laughs> <laughs> as it was described to me once, it's you know that 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 trope is a character that has a high force of personality in terms of presence and a low <laughs> durability of personality <laughs> in, in in terms of willpower. I actually I actually had a player once describe their horny bard as he, he, he he's he's a personality glass cannon. Right. Right. <laughs> that um, fits perfectly. <laughs> which is the best the best description I've heard. And if, and if you if you like that concept and that fits within the silver tongue you know, trope you're going for, for the build, willpower, excellent choice for dump. Now, in terms of what you should keep for the silver tongue specifically, dude, first and foremost, cunning. Cunning should be kept high because obviously with that that sort of face of the party silver tongue character, that theme is also often going to take ranks in deception. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're gonna they're gonna lie as often as they charm. Mm-hmm. Um additionally, you know, streetwise, another very common choice for the silver tongue, as is skullduggery, both of which use cunning. Mm-hmm. 
Additionally, you'd be wise to keep agility at moderate to high for this particular concept, um, as it governs many other roguelike skills that are common to this theme, things like stealth, okay, um, which, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's a very traditional, you know, uh, role, the silver tongue, and it, it kind of makes sense. What about, what about another traditional one, man? The captain. Talk mm. to me about the captain. What do we dump? What do we pump? All right. So what we're dumping, I think, for the captain um, is maybe a little bit controversial, is agility. Um, yeah, and I think that this is the most common choice for a dump uh, for this concept theme. Now, this is the captain in the, you know, the thick of battle, fighting it out with a sword and shield, not with a bow. They're confident, striding down the uh, deck of the ship, giving orders on, on board a, a massive vessel. They confidently stride into into any situation to use their words, not really sneaking about. Having said that, if you're in a modern or sci-fi setting, that choice is a much less clear cut. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd probably be dumping. I'd probably be dumping brawn at that point. But yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, what you should definitely keep, though, is willpower, which is actually a strongly associated with this focus concept. Not the least of which is because discipline and vigilance, but also for coercion, a common battlefield use of social skills, especially yeah. discipline, because as you know, it's a defensive um, social skill, as we um, mentioned before. With uh, with cool, the the other defensive one, other than uh, vigilance, is also. Uh, discipline. So, discipline for um, yeah. a post-social, yeah. Mm. Additionally, mm. like, you know, the, if the captain's in the heat of battle and is, is that inspiring leader for a, like a military group, um, they're going to be, they're going to be facing down fear checks and they need to succeed. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's where, that's where discipline can commonly come into play as well. But I mean, yeah, we talk about how the, the, the captain is, is going to be that one that, that takes the inspiring rhetoric tree. <laughs> you you were equally as common to see the captain take ranks in coercion and go down the scathing tirade tree. Mm. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but um, so we've covered the, those two. But what about the merchant? You know, what are we what are we dumping? Yeah, what are we keeping? This, this is your odd one, right? This is that protective parent, right? This is right. the. The, the the party leader who's not a charmer but a, a negotiator and a you know a leader right mm-hmm. for dumping this was a hard one man but brawn actually made the most sense but only by virtue of the fact that it's the lesser of the evils because because it's hard the the, the concept and, and focus of of like of this trope of you know the merchant face character this is somebody who can ride or drive well okay which is agility. Mm-hmm. They have high discipline and vigilance because for that kind of role, it makes sense. They need it. That's willpower. Yep. They know a lot about the world, okay, mm-hmm. because they're grizzled and world-weary, and that's intellect in terms of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And additionally, are going to have probably really good perception um, and insight, um, as well as the ability to survive in the world, which is mm-hmm. cunning-based. So, you know, and then you can make the argument, you know, well, they're rough and tumble. They may need a high brawn. I mean, it's really hard to say. But if, of of all those things, brawn was kind of the lesser of the evils to cut from from my perspective. You know, I <laughs> I, I, I hate that, but it, it is what it is. Yeah. I agree, though, Chris, with that, because, like, the merchant isn't the one that's going to be – because they're such an all-rounder. Yeah. That the, and because, well, they're a merchant – they're not the ones that are going to be uh, in the Russell and, and the, you know, the no. what word am I trying to think of? That they the basically tuss- the, t- get, the tussle. 
the tussle that that was the word I was looking for. Um, that they're going to have hired people to do that for them. Yes, yeah, such you as know, the party. <laughs> yeah, such as the rest of the party, or maybe they've got some followers. Who knows? But uh, yeah. but yeah. Hmm. So what are we keeping though? Well, considering what we just said above, <laughs> all four of those attributes, agility, willpower, intellect, cunning, are important. So honestly, you're going to have to figure out what focus you want for the theme. But if you have to pick a couple to not dump of the four, I would probably lean back towards agility and cunning. Mostly because uh, if, if you see that trope as a true grizzled traveler of the world, mm. it, it's someone who needs to either ride or drive well, okay, or pilot. Uh, depending on the on the setting, right? Mm, right. And then, of course, survival perception. It, it just it it makes a lot of sense for that trope. Yep. So, if if I of the four, if I had to pick two to keep at moderate levels, it would probably be those two. But I, I guess it's such a fine line, man. It's such mm. a fine line. Like I could say the same about willpower. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that uh, if you it depends on, I guess, if we want to start breaking it down into into further sub sort of categories i guess that maybe um it depends on what sort of a merchant you want if you've got a merchant who's just on the you know side of the road he's uh he's the the character that owns the place where the where the piece rest of the pcs hang out uh and that's sort of what they bring to the party your brawn is probably going to be the most obvious but uh yeah i wouldn't be getting rid of agility and cunning for any reason whatsoever. Yeah. So I think you're right on the money. Yeah. But our fourth one, the bard, assuming the uh, this role and the verse skill fits into the setting, the dump stat, I think, for that is brawn, which is the obvious choice for the reasons that we've already mentioned. Yeah. For what we should keep, though, intellect not only governs knowledge skills, which are, you know, the bread and butter for, for any sort of bardic character, uh, but knowledge is also the adjuster for magic spell effects. So, you know, beefy ranks there can also be important. The other one that we should be keeping is cunning. If for yeah. no other reason that a bard typically lies through their teeth as much as they do charm. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think if we, if we know any sort of bard, they are absolutely BSing their way out of just about anything. So uh, a good yeah. cunning is really important. Yeah, yeah. If you if you if you really want to make a bardic character, you should. I mean, after starting XP is spent, you should have threes in both presence and cunning at a minimum. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. Mm. That's our that's our stats. That's our our attributes. Yeah. So let's talk about skills and mm. uh, and the special ability free ranks. You know, where do we give this free skill rank for a start? Well, okay, so as we talk about, like, you know, we always say you, you, you could give a free rank in presence-based skills. Okay, cool, charm, leadership, negotiation. As we say, and as we've noted way back in episode four, a free rank in any of these should cost a bit more to the overall XP hit. Okay, mm -hmm. definitely a minus five or a minus ten versus a minus zero as just a, a free rank if you're going to make that the, the special ability that they get. Okay, and, and I want to talk about... That, about each of those, though, because like, look, oh look, okay, look, <laughs> I have a hard time with some of this. On right. a on a on a world building note, mm. as a GM, I have always found it very hard to justify an archetype or species based free rank or bonus of any kind in leadership. Okay, 
Look, mm-hmm. charm, charm, I get. I get it. Okay, that can be a biological predisposition. Your race is naturally sexy. Okay, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm serious. Okay, it's, it's, it's like it's like it's like it's like you know, it's like it's like you you you're just naturally charming. You have that disarming smile. Everyone else finds your species attractive. I get it. Okay, uh, I can I could get behind a free rank in that negotiation and cool. I can also get behind, not from a biological standpoint, but because archetypes and species aren't just about biology, they also represent ingrained cultural traits, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Things that you've learned culturally. And getting a free rank in negotiation or cool, that, you know, as a result of of where you were raised in your culture, I totally get that, okay? But there is no culture or, or biological predisposition that makes someone a great leader. Okay, like like if that's the case, wow, our entire race is great leaders. That's fantastic. Who's the leader among your group? We all are. Ah! It's like it, it's the epitome of one of those skills where you have a leader who rises to a leader. It's not it's not a social trait that's culturally based. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Your mileage, your mileage may vary. I just, you know, <laughs> so yes, yes, you are free to provide a free rank and cool charm leadership and negotiation. I, I just I, I don't I don't get leadership and regardless if you do it for any of these four it needs to be a minus five or minus ten hit to the build it should not be your free special ability um and then of course it goes without saying you should probably as we said before never provide a free rank in verse okay um it is a magic skill and free ranks in magic or combat skills should be the rare to never exception to the rule yes there are some published things out there that have it but they're they've very well play tested stuff so hmm. it, it that that is the you sh- just just don't do it just don't do it so that's okay that's that's present space but Huli, like where where it's at and when we talked about this before is you know for really good balanced species archetype creation hmm. you want if you're going to give them a free rank because you got to or you should give it to them in a non-present space skill hmm. and 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 what what are our options here what are some good choices well, look, uh, honestly, the good cheap choices uh, will, again, depend on the, the theme or focus that you, you're going to have. And yeah. we'll return to our earlier generalized themes, I guess, when we talk about this. So for the silver tongue, um, you know, deception or streetwise uh, is going to be the, the two because of the nature of what they do. They're the ones that I know a guy. I'll go and find the information that I need. Yeah. And doing a free rank in a cunning-based skill when you have a naturally high presence-based character, again, mm. you shouldn't shouldn't that that that's that's valid for a free rank. Yeah, absolutely. And it does mean that as that sort of a species, you're going to cover the gambit of all of your social skills, especially if you're choosing deception. So um, you know that's an option for you. The the captain, discipline or vigilance, and we've talked about those two already. But they are like your defensive social skills is what um, we've called it in the past. And melee is also a great thematic choice for a captain, especially if you've got a captain of, uh, of a ship. Well, well, yeah, but if you're thinking think about like an archetype or species, I mean, that's not going to be. But like if they come from like a warlike culture, okay? Oh, look, absolutely. Now, where where weapons are a, a thing that, like a Klingon, for example, where learning weapons, weapons is part of their – their religion upbringing yeah up, yeah yeah part of weapons, their, yeah, are, exactly. weapons are part of 
I'm a Mandalorian. <laughs> Weapons are part of my religion. Now, we just said, guys, that we don't recommend doing a free rank in a combat skill, and that still goes true. But if you're going to do it, if you're going to do it, it makes the most sense for the captain. So that's why we thought we brought it in. And of course, that would need to come with probably a minus 10 XP hit. Uh, and then we've got uh, the merchant, which um, I think perception or survival uh, yeah. are great skills because they're going to suit that that theme. Um, survival, being able to find that thing that you absolutely need to have or knowing where to get it from. Uh, and perception to be able to tell what value something is. Uh, or spot something, spot something on your travels, you know, if yeah. you're – if you're going to and fro, yeah, you're that 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 character. But you know, you mentioned perception survival. I think there's a couple other options too. Yeah, so we've got riding or, or driving, depending on setting, uh, is another great choice that that's on theme. Uh, as is piloting in a futuristic futuristic sort of setting as yeah. well, because you know you've got to have something to be able to ride that um, that cart around. Um, <laughs> And I mean, yeah. hey, look, riding is a great thing, for, especially when you've got like your your donkey and cart and, and whatever else. But our last one, which is the bard, knowledge or deception, uh, are probably going to be your best choices. Uh, as is streetwise, um, is is another great choice because it yeah. means then that you're going to be able to be getting that bardic knowledge out, um, or lying through your teeth. And we sort of touched on both that. Uh, before but those two are excellent that they really dovetail nicely into some of the other things that a bard would do exactly so, yeah. mm. okay so that's the free skill rank mm. all right let's talk about unique abilities okay really mm. one of the one of the last things we gotta we gotta consider when we're we're talking about this kind of build yeah let's talk about a few high level options good to build off of okay mm. Um, because as we talked about before, it's Wild West. There's a lot of great examples that are published, but it's really kind of up to you. So let's start with let's start with some of the what we call what we've called in the past the potent abilities. Okay, these are these are species and archetype abilities that are obviously related to that that presence characteristic in some way that are typically once per encounter or once per session, and usually require spending a story point. Um, if it's once per encounter, it should almost certainly require spending a story point. Um, <laughs> Uh, the first one is a play on a very common one we see, option one, which is, is, is presence substitution for other characteristics, other attributes in skill checks. And and honestly, this is a really good idea for the presence-based archetype with a couple limitations. Specifically, it makes very little sense for this to work on brawn or agility-based skills. Okay? Using your presence to break down a door doesn't make a lot of sense um or or you know smile your way across a tightrope or up a wall but but players are going to try that if you give them the option so we you need to tone it down if you're going to craft this if you like this idea what is totally feasible is to have the player spend a story point to activate the ability of using presence with coercion um or deception or, or even streetwise that makes a lot of sense you think about those normally cunning and willpower based skills that you, you you could reasonably substitute presence in place of those attributes in that skill you know coercing with presence is the equivalent of putting on a great performance right <laughs> you know lying with presence is again acting right mm. as is streetwise so if i was to write this up i would say for simplicity's sake i, I would say 
once per session, spend a story point to use your presence on a willpower or cunning based skill check. That's that's super great. That may not, ma- not make immediate sense for things like survival or perception, but those two one-offs are a small price to pay uh, for simplicity and unique ability design and wording to me. Mm. Um, but when it comes to potent abilities, we have the present substitution. We have that. We have the, the the characteristic or attribute substitution as option one. We have another option too, man, which is for for our potents option two. Yeah. So we have the kind of the reverse of that which is using presence to substitute skill ranks in other skills. Now, this could be a lot of fun for an intellect-based skill um, with a caveat that you need to have access to an expert in the skill, and that would be up to the GM's discretion. Um, the idea would be that you can talk up um, you know, a local enough to get a short-term glimpse into, into exactly what you need. So using your presence for a knowledge check while in a library uh, of scholars, for example, using a presence for a mechanic check, uh, while uh, while near a gearhead whom you're, you know, perhaps chatting up uh, while they're they're doing something for you, you know, gotcha. a, a, a good write up for that might be once per session spend a story point when making an intellect based skill check. You may treat your ranks in that skill as equal to your presence. However, you must have access to an expert on the check you're attempting. So that's a fun. That's a fun little thing. I, you yeah. know, I wouldn't even. You know, and it, and as you're writing this up, because it's situational, I, I don't even know if I would if I would require story point expenditure. I mean, maybe because it's, it's once per session, right? Yeah, and you and you've got that qualifier in there. Yeah, it, it is a double qualifier. Basically, because yeah. you've got the once per session and a story point. Yeah, maybe the the story point isn't actually needed. I, I think that yeah. that would Cause, be because you're yeah you're you're limiting it to an intellect based skill check first qualifier. Hmm. You have to have access to an expert second qualifier, hmm. and the third is once per session. Man, yeah, I mean, I think I mean you, it's, I, I, it's I one yeah. or the other. You could you can say spend a story point on making an intellect based skill right, check, right? Right, or once per session. Or yeah, once per I'd be, session. I'd be, so it's I'd be down for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, you're turning it basically. That's it's. Like somebody would never do that because yeah. it's like a once-off thing, uh, and your cost for that should be a lot lower because you've got that that double uh, that double negative there, I guess. So yeah, yeah one or the other, yeah. I think, is what we should probably do. That's the potent abilities, right? Right, exactly. And but now we've got the always-on abilities. Now these are going to be less potent but don't cost you anything to use and are typically always going to be in play. These are like on always on abilities, like not presence based, but things like, you know, dark vision, right? right. Or having natural claws, right? Those things. Yeah. We kind of, I think, I think there's a couple, uh, there's three options here to think about begging, borrowing and stealing from other always on, you know, less potent special abilities. Hmm. The first is to get an automatic advantage on a charm or negotiation check that you make. That's you know it's it's one one advantage that's it, okay. Uh, it works. Additionally, they did this a lot in Star Wars, but we don't do it in Genesis because of the talent pyramid. It really mucks things up, right? right. In Star Wars, there was a common thing where for a species they would give them a free rank and a talent, usually like a a, a five XP value talent, right? Yeah, right. You know, and and that's always kind of my go to when I'm thinking about species design because I used to do so much stuff, custom stuff for Star Wars, but in Genesis. You know, you don't want to give a free rank and a talent because it can really muck up, you know, pyramid progression. Mm. 
yeah. um, and, and mess with the beautifully tested XP economy, that doesn't mean that you can't look at some presence-related tier one talents and pilfer them for ideas or create something very similar. You know, you could take a talent like Clever Retort or Know Somebody, change the capability up ever so slightly. You know what I mean? And 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 just provide that as a benefit. That's an option too. You know, don't be afraid to beg, borrow, and steal from from existing talents. <laughs> Obviously, just modifying things slightly, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's not an actual rank in the talent. Mm. And again, you've just got to be very, very careful when you do that because, you know, if you say the Clever Retort, it's exactly what the clever retort says. So, uh, but it's not actually the talent. So then you're going to have players be asking, well, how does that, does it stack? Yeah. Does it not stack? So the yeah. best thing to do is use those as sort of a template and then make sure that if you're going to use those sorts of, of abilities, that they complement the talent. Um, or they work in a different way than the talent is supposed to work. So, um, you know, things like that is probably the best way to go about doing those sort of linking to talents. Yeah. There was a, there was a foundry published work not too long ago. Um, it was one of Jared Matthews ones. Mm -hmm. He had, he had one in there that I thought was absolutely fascinating. And when I first read it, I was like, that that's, that's broken. Like there's no way. And <laughs> then you play, you play it, you play test. You're like, okay, no, it's not broken. It actually works totally viably. Mm -hmm. Um, where the idea of something like clever retort, okay, where you can right. you can you can provide a threat, okay, mm. yep. to that opponent, the ability of of turning, and it, it it sounds really great on paper. It'll make a player excited to want to do this, but it will come up so rarely in play that <laughs> it, it, it it it's 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 perfectly balanced. Turning three threat into a despair on a social check. Mm. Okay. Conversely, mm -hmm. turning three advantage into a triumph. And again, like once a session, right? Yep. yep. But yep. you know, but but I mean it's it's not always on. But yeah, I mean like let's yeah. I mean that's that's kind of the that's kind of the thing. And uh, you know, dude, yeah. I mean you can you can you can play. You can have fun. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um or turn uh if if that's too beefy for you, how about turning three threat into a failure? Yeah. yeah. How about turning three th advantage into an extra success symbol? Mm. Okay, just saying. Mm. I would I would go two rather than three for that, but yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Why not? Um, and I think that if you were to do that, you'd actually cause a bit of strain as well to do that. Um, potentially, but, potentially, but, yeah, it, no, but, really. but then you, then you, then you reach a point where it's not it's not in the less potent, right? If you no, get right. to a point where you get to the point where it's costing you anything to do, yeah, uh, which is what Hill and I both have given examples for, you should probably <laughs> move it into the the you know potent abilities right right um exactly but, yeah but look but listen we're 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 we're, we're chewing the bone here i mean i think <laughs> i think the 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 obvious examples for always on are an automatic advantage on either charm or negotiation okay mm -hmm. makes makes total sense yep. um again you could do leadership but i have for the same reasons as before of a free skill rank i have a very hard time justifying that <laughs> <laughs> um cool automatic advantage on cool that makes sense okay yep okay yep. I'm, I'm down for that but there is another option for mm -hmm. an always-on ability. It is an unusual option that is providing a boost die on a social check at the cost of also suffering setback dice on other social checks. Mm -hmm. 
And we we see this in the core rulebook with the fearsome special ability, yep. which which as you know, Huli adds a setback die to charm, deception, and leadership and negotiation. But you get a boost die on coercion. Okay. Mm. Mm. Um. But but only when you're interacting with members who are not your species, basically. Right. Yeah. Um. That you're just naturally fearsome. You could twist this to provide a boost die to a presence based check at the cost of a setback die to every other social check. Mm. Um, so, for example, I, I wrote up an example ability here. Okay. Um, I almost used it for my build that we'll come to, but I decided <laughs> not to, um, which is why I kind of wrote it out. Uh, I call it I call it notoriously blunt. <laughs> Your no. species is known for its brutal honesty and its inability to exaggerate, lie, or haggle. <laughs> You, you, you know, and, and like, especially in like a, 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 a space opera or a sci-fi setting, or even, even certain fantasy settings, like hmm. you all know that type of trope of a, of a species, right? <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? You know, like, like, I mean, Drax the Destroyer. Okay. All right. From, from Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy, right? Yes. Um, although I don't think this would apply to him. He would definitely, he would definitely have the fearsome one. But, but anyway, the point yeah. is inability to exaggerate, lie, or haggle. You add a setback die to any coercion, deception, leadership, or negotiation checks you make. But you add a boost die to any charm checks you make. Mm. This does not apply when you're interacting with others of your own species. Mm. The, take, the takeaway here is, as, as, as you can see, anytime you offer a boost die, if you're going to offer a boost die as a unique species or archetype ability, it needs to have multiple setback die drawbacks to <laughs> <laughs> skills in the same family to mm. keep it costed correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because if you start providing just boosts with no other sort of no, balancing no, 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 mechanism, no, 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 no. <laughs> it goes a little bit crazy as far as cost goes. Yeah, so, I mean, you can do so, you yeah. can do it, but you, minus ten XP. There you go. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. So let's take a look at uh, these always on abilities. But let's take a look as we've never really done this before, and I think that it's something we should probably re revisit with some of the other ones at a later stage. But we're going to take a look at the existing species because we we do this for skills. So yeah, we're going to yeah, do, do that for for archetypes where we take a look at. Uh, rather than, okay, which skills are used by which archetypes. So now we're going to take a look at which archetypes use presence and how that they use that. So in the core rules, we have the aristocrat yep. and we have yep. the vanguard from the space opera setting. Now, for the aristocrat, it's a fairly simple ability, but they have a three in presence and a one in brawn. Goes mm -hmm. back to what we were saying. It starts with one rank in cool, which is a presence-based skill. They also have forceful personality. So once per session, your character may spend a story point as an incidental. If they do so during the next skill check they make during this that turn, your character doubles the strain they inflict or the strain they heal you yeah. choose before making the check. A brilliant ability, can I just say. Uh, yeah, that that I've used before. Yeah, and de designed to work wonderfully with you know skating tirade or or oh, uh, yes, and inspiring rhetoric is what it's designed to do. Mm. Mm. Um, now up my alley though is the vanguard, right? <laughs> right. And, and and if you get into them, they're they're sort of these technological idealists, really. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so as a result, their three presence is offset by a one in cunning. Mm. They've got nine pluses in both uh, wound and strain threshold. They're a little, you know, little, little, little space sick genetically <laughs> when you get down to it. Right. Um, 100 XP. They got one rank in knowledge during character creation. Um, mm-hmm. And then they get two special abilities. Uh, the first is space is our birthright. Uh, they get an automatic advantage to the results of any astrocartography or knowledge checks they make. Mm-hmm. And again, intellect is not their big score. Presence is, right? And then they get uh, a high tech bobbles. They they start the uh, the game with an additional five hundred credits worth of starting gear, um, which is a very interesting special ability uh, mm. that I, I I like. Mm. But um, any others in the core rules, or was that it in the core rules no, for high presence? That that's it for uh, for well, the core rules. Okay, well then, what about all the all the ones in the expanded players guide? There is absolutely none. <laughs> not uh, whatsoever. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that's because there aren't any archetypes in the in the expanded players guide. I'm remembering now. I'm remembering now. No, okay. there are yeah. archetypes in the in the expanded players guide. They are certainly because they've got four settings in there. Oh, um, yeah, but yeah, not there, yeah. Set. Okay. <laughs> uh, what I meant to say is there are a ton of archetypes in the expanded players guide. <laughs> but they just weren't yeah. cool. They weren't cool guys. So they weren't no, cool kids. So I just no. forgot about them. And and I was actually when we were going through and doing a little bit of research for this uh, for this episode, I was half expecting that there would be like a Venus type character uh, in the myths and legends, um, but there isn't. Um, there was a sorcerer. Mm. I was um, for whatever reason mistaken, but anyway, that's all right. Interesting. Realms of Terranoth though has a huge one, um, <laughs> and it's gnomes of all things. Uh, yeah. Those cutesy gnomes, uh, and uh, they have uh, a one in willpower instead, but they also have a one in brawn, uh, which was interesting. And um, they've got a three in cunning. They got a three in cunning and presence. Yeah, man, <laughs> two, two, two ones and two threes. I mean, like, and in 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 Terranoth, I mean, there's no halflings. Gnomes or gnomes or halflings and gnomes combined, right? So yeah, it's like right, right. They're the halflings of the gnome world. Yes. Or something like that. Uh, but they're really squishy with only uh, six brawn, six uh, plus brawn for their wound threshold. Uh, and uh, strain threshold is 11, so not a not a big jump up from the 10. And their starting XP is quite low at 90 as well. Yeah. For their other ability, uh, each gnome, which there are two, there's the burrow gnome and the wanderer gnome, uh, they have differing special abilities. Uh, the Burrow Gnome has, uh, they have a starting skill of, of one rank in charm and one rank in resilience. And this is something that Terranoth does a lot of. Um, yeah, and I've noticed is. in some of the other settings as well, they have two sets of skills that they get, um, yeah. uh, one rank in, which is, and if you, it, well, if you start reversing the Terranoth, uh, species specifically, they hmm. are, they are overcosted, all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and that's fine. As long as they're all overcosted, okay. <laughs> um, they, I mean, as as as, as long as all the archetype species are on parity, you're fine. But yeah. yeah, they they basically like used an extra, really an extra ten XP roughly for yeah. each each of the ones in in uh, in Terranoth, yeah. roughly. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, so the Baronomes have the charm. Which is a direct correlation to their uh, to their presence, um, and one rank in resilience, which is completely opposite uh, <laughs> with yeah. with um, their uh, their one 
in, in well, the, well, the well, the, and the, I mean, well, that's why they got the rank because that's the thing. Like in the in the lore too, borough gnomes are like they're 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 militant. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they Absolutely. they um they they even they even take like in the lore they even take like uh, special military training to attack bigger creatures, bigger folk. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and that's actually another way. And and I'll talk about this in my build. Uh, that's another way that you can really start to. Uh, for example, if you want a character to be uh, or a, a species to be fairly sturdy, but you don't want them to be fairly strong uh, because of like a, a, a stronger skin or something like that, you can start to bring like the brawn down to one and then start doing things like that that will add skill ranks to. Uh, brawn-related skills, for example, like they've done here, yeah. and it can sort of balance that out. Um, now, what they didn't, what they didn't do here, and another option to do that as well, is you give them a high wound threshold, low brawn. Okay, exactly. So, yeah. so brawn of one, and then like twelve plus. Mm. Okay, mm. they're still a tough character, but they're weak, and yeah. you know, for for certain fantasy and and space races, especially, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so the Baron Gnomes also have their um, special. Um, uh, add a boost iron to all combat checks that target characters who have a larger silhouette, which goes back to what you said before, Chris. Yep. Um, and then the Wanderer Gnome uh, has They're- one rank in Charm and, and one rank in Stealth. Yeah, just call them Kender. That's what they are. They're... <laughs> They're 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 Kender, um, <laughs> especially when you get into their special ability of Trixie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and look, go and take a look at that. I'm not going to read through that because it's a really long special well, ability. But, but it's really dude, cool. but, well, basically, they they spent a story point to just pull out a, a, an item that they didn't know they had. Yeah, yes. right. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's Kender. Oh, I I don't know I don't know how this ended up in my pouch, but it's here. <laughs> um, oh dear. Very cool. Mm. Shadow of the Beanstalk, though. Yeah, it did none, which kind of shocked me. <laughs> I would have, I would have expected there to have been some high presence face characters, especially when you mm-hmm. consider the economics of, of you know, Netrunner. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are none. No? Um, but lastly, we we do have the secrets of the Crucible to look at, uh, which is the 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 Kurzix, um, <laughs> I whom I love, uh, yes. lovable little forearm <laughs> species. Um, just overly pleasant and, and easy to read. They're so cute. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the Crick Six, they, they have a three in presence and a one in cunning. Uh, nine pluses uh, for both wound and strain threshold. 90 starting XP, which is kind of low, but that's because of their abilities. Um, <laughs> they get a free rank in both charm and negotiation, two presence-based skills. Mm-hmm. They have the extra limbs thing, so they get the free maneuver, second maneuver on their turn without suffering strain. Mm-hmm. And then this is, this is see, this is a great, this is conversion. Look at this. <laughs> I was talking about earlier. Yep. What they, what, they have an ability called what they mean to say. What they meant to say. What they meant to say. Okay. Which I love. It's just, no, I'm sorry. What, what they meant to say. Once per session, after um, a, a Kurzix or an ally makes a social skill check, you may spend one story point to convert a despair to a threat. <laughs> <laughs> that is potent. <laughs> Dude, it's, 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 oh my god, what they meant to say was, yeah, yeah, I, 
it, it just goes back to you know, you know I, talk, talking to Tim Huckleberry about this, especially too, and all that worked on how incredible this book is. You, there's it, it stands apart as such an oddity because there's so many interesting and weird things in it, mm. but there's a lot you can pilfer from it. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Let's get into now that we've looked at all of of the the published ones, and of course there are others out there in uh, many of the uh, the products that we see on the foundry. So you know, take a look at those and, and see what we're talking about when we've um, you know looked at how they do presence based characters. So let's see what we did with presence based characters. I want to know what you've done, Chris, because yours sounds amazing. I came up with a concept called the Vanners. Oh. Very much playing on some traditional archetypes, but the idea is the Vanners are a species that is always on the move, especially in my in my fantasy settings, but uh, honestly, some of my most beloved sci-fi and space opera settings. There have been these species that are known for their, their colorful caravans and their shrewd skills as merchants, Okay. So, so culturally speaking, these are these are nomadic people who thrive on trade, and no matter where you go, you will almost always find a caravan of vanners uh, with their wares spread out, ready and willing to trade. Typically, standing just over a meter tall and covered in soft orange fur, uh, the vanners are extremely peaceful, uh, known for their fair dealings and apolitical views, and are welcomed almost anywhere. Um, as such, they are commonly called upon to settle disputes and to act as trusted, impartial judges and negotiators. Uh, when a van or caravan comes into town, just as many people visit it with legal petitions as they do with goods to trade. All right. Mm. Mm. That's my blurb. So the, the idea is like, look, in, in, in a space opera or a sci-fi setting, this species would likely move and live in family caravan cargo ships, right? right. With universal docking rings, okay? <laughs> um, in, in, in a fantasy setting, they would move in colorful, beast-drawn caravans. And I, I was initially, surely inspired by the Khajiit of Elder Scrolls, right? right. You, know, you, know, you know, Khajiit has wares if you have koi, right? <laughs> but as I, as I delved into my story and, and backstory for this, I, I really changed things up a lot. Because unlike the Khajiit, I mean, like, like trader species, species where traders like that, are so commonly, from a trope standpoint, seen as swindlers or, or dishonest, like the Khajiit, okay? Mm. And I wanted to break that expectation with the Vanners. Why not have a trader species that is reputed for honesty? Mm. You know, their, their success isn't because they're conniving swindlers who are going to milk you for everything you've got on the deal. Mm. Their success is because everyone is willing to trade with them because they know they're going to get a fair deal. Okay. Right. They're accepted everywhere because of this trade. So they have more trade routes than anybody else. Okay. When it comes to, uh, you know, disputed trade routes or, or trade route contracted trade routes, they're going to be the first ones picked. Okay. Because of this cultural trait, everyone trusts them. Right. And when, when you think about that, they would also need to be very non-threatening and frankly, cute looking. Which is also what led to my physical description. Right. So let's get into the build. Uh, starting characteristics, obviously presence at three. Mm -hmm. um, agility, cunning, intellect, and willpower at two. I was seriously tempted to pump intellect to three for knowledge skills, specifically of, of the law or geography. But it was just going to be too much of an XP drain. Yeah. Brawn at one. 
Okay, uh, which makes sense for my description. Not only are they very small creatures, but their natural build is just very non-threatening. I was tempted to bring agility down to one as well for the XP, but decided against it, going kind of back to my merchant trope that we talked about earlier. Um, Because one, it would leave them without the ability to ride or pilot very well, which made sense for their backstory. But it would also leave them with very little natural ability to defend themselves. Uh, which yeah. is a common need when you're traveling. I mean, low brawn, I can deal with. You just got to put a bow in their hands or a sling. Okay. So yeah, presence at three, brawn at one, the rest at two. Yeah. That leaves me with zero XP drawn from the well at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to wound th- threshold and strain threshold, for wound, I decided to go with eight plus brawn. Mm-hmm. Um, and for strain threshold, 12 plus willpower. That's rough, but it makes sense for their biology and their culture. They're just not tough. But in the, they're high in the strain threshold to, to deal with complex social encounters well. Mm-hmm. And the reduction in wound threshold counteracted the increase in strain threshold for me at a net cost of zero XP, again, taken away from the build. Yeah. Then we get into special abilities. Free rank of a skill. If it's sci-fi or space opera, astrocartography. Makes total sense for their, their, their fluff. Okay. Mm-hmm. If it's fantasy, knowledge, geography. Okay, or 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 something very similar. It just it just fits the theme very well, and being a non-presence based skill allows me to take it for free without any extra XP cost. Again, away from the build. And if it's a a fantasy setting without a geography related knowledge skill, give them a free rank. It's something appropriately similar. Ideally, something that represents knowledge of, of culture or or the law, like you know, lore or something like that. Okay, mm-hmm. um, makes a lot of sense. So that's their free rank. Additionally, at a cost of minus five XP to the build, I decided to give them a free rank in either piloting, if it's sci-fi or space opera, or survival, if it's fantasy. Um, for, for a species focused on traveling around in caravans and trading, it just made sense. And it's not presence-based. So yeah, minus five XP. Mm. Then we get into the other unique rules. <laughs> <laughs> they get a free one. Okay. I came up with... Again, using our advice before, they have an ability called Dealmaker. Mm-hmm. Your character automatically adds one advantage to the results of any negotiation check they make. Yep. To me, that I would cost that at 5 XP. Mm-hmm. It's a small benefit. It's limited to a single skill. So for me, that's my free ability. The special ability is very thematic, considering I didn't give them a free rank in negotiation. Then I decided to give them an- another couple of special abilities. They are very squishy. <laughs> And and they are travelers, so I, I thought it made sense to give them a special ability, which I call Nimble Target, which they have a natural defense of one, okay? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, which obviously would apply to both range and melee defense, mm-hmm. all right? To, to deal with the survivability of such a small and weak species, it just made sense that their size and their training would lend them to a natural defense score, especially important when negotiations go bad. Mm-hmm. A natural defense of one, that is a, that is a huge benefit. Um, so I tell me if you disagree. I costed it at minus 10 XP. No, that sounds reasonable to me. So that puts me at a total of minus 15 XP off the build uh, of 110. Or off 100, excuse me. Um, which puts them at 85. And that was really low for me. So I decided to have some fun with the backstory. And add in a negatively consequential special ability to round them off. Mm-hmm. And it has no benefits. It is purely negative in nature. <laughs> and it's called Trusted Face. Mm. 
your character automatically suffers a setback die on any coercion or deception check they make. <laughs> just boom, no benefit, just a big fat negative attribute. I, I wanted to play on the downside of being such a trusted species mm-hmm. um, because narratively that's a huge benefit, right? But there's no mechanics associated to it. And outside of the advantage I give them on you know, deal maker, mm. but I don't know. It just fit to me. It, fit, it fits, you know, you're a vanner. I'm sorry. You can't lie to save your life and no <laughs> one you threaten is going to take you seriously. <laughs> so it, it just, it just made sense. Um, mm. And, to to me, that negative consequence was worth plus five XP back to the build. Yep. Which brings me up to a starting XP of 90 from my 85, which made sense. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's the Vanners. I just want to hug them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I picture them in my mind as a little bit like um, Lemmings, if you remember that, um, that game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with their little fuzzy top. Dude, uh, like, like, yeah, like, cool. I, I imagine the, I imagine the artistic. They would probably be very rotund as well. Yeah. Okay. So, so you know, there's lots of animal humanoid, you know, like cat folk or whatever. And you know, if you're playing D and D, there's the turtles, you know, and all that. Yeah. We, we're missing a gerbil human. <laughs> you know, yes. hum, a humanoid gerbils, and that's really, that's really it. I mean, when you get down to it, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're just adorbs. I like. It. I like yeah. it. A lot. <laughs> it's very cool. <laughs> I've gone in a then, completely different direction, but you, 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 you have. But can you can you, can you imagine this fantasy game that has the, that has the Vanners in it, right? And and the PCs <laughs> are brought in to witness this this tribunal that's having to occur. Something huge, massive stakes. You know, like a court martial or like a land dispute between major lords. It's going to spark a civil war, and they bring in a Vanner to handle the adjudication because, of course, you would. <laughs> And this, this, you know, one meter, three foot tall gerbil dude comes walking out, and everybody bows respectfully. Dude, I'm I'm there for it. I'm I, I don't know I don't know where it is, but I'm gonna go there. I'm there for it. <laughs> I can picture him walking in with you know an absolute ton of books, and everybody goes, "Oh, we're, we're really serious now." And he just uses that to put on the seat so he can actually see over the bench. Absolutely, uh, <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> I love it. I want to put one of those in a game now. <laughs> it's so good. Well done. <laughs> uh, dear. Well, as I said, I went in a completely different direction. Boy, did uh, you. <laughs> so I went, uh, because I, I, I've played a lot of Pathfinder in my time, even though I've moved away from, from that system, um, I still like a lot of the story concepts that, that go along with it. And one of my favorites, uh, mainly because a player played one of these types of characters uh, and did a really good job, and that is the Dampier. Now, while vampires are a thing of the night, ritualistic magics cast by both good and evil witches provided the means for the union of an immortal undead being with humankind. Whether this was by choice or some other nefarious means, such as a gypsy curse, remains only known to the casters. What is clear, however, is that the results of such a union is either a threat to the natural order of things or a blessing. So this type of species can be a fun addition to any fantasy setting where you can bring in hundreds of years of backstory into a campaign just by following bloodlines, for example. 
uh, or you can even explore the weirdest version of How I Met Your Father story arc ever. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that would be a perfect addition to like a cyberpunk fantasy setting like Shadowrun. Um, Hell or yeah. Another, or another one that's, uh, that's coming out very shortly from uh, uh, Studio 404. Um, which uh, sounds amazing, but we'll get on to that, I'm sure, later on. But now we've talked about, you know, the Silver Tongue and the Captain and the Merchant and Bard throughout the episode. I really wanted to create a species that could wear any of those quite well. So, look, let's start with the characteristics. So, at this point, I've made a uh, presence of three, obviously. I've said agility and brawn, cunning and willpower of two. Okay. Um, now, the temptation to increase willpower to three was also there just because of the way that vampires are. Um, but I really, uh, again, similar to you, Chris, I just couldn't justify that expense. Yeah. Well, what I did do is something a little bit weird, which is that I changed the intellect to one. Now, these guys are going to be less than genetically perfect because, after all, they are an abomination to the natural order of things. Now, these things should not exist at all, and with magic, there's always going to be a price. Uh, and that cost was their ability to see reason, and realistically, nothing annoys a vampire more than stupidity. Uh, but otherwise, they make great thralls, thugs, and gang members um, in that sort of cyberpunky sort of setting. Oh yeah, dude, and and the vampire lord with dumpier thugs that he berates <laughs> for their for their idiocy is a classic trope. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, then we go into uh, wound threshold and strain threshold. So I've gone uh, a twelve plus brawn for wound threshold uh, because these guys Ooh. are supposed to be tough. Yeah. Um, you know, but they're not overly tough because they've only got a two in uh, in brawn. Um, but they're generally tough. They're, that's why they make great thugs. They're a bit dumb, but they're they're what you need. Um, and then uh, ten plus willpower for uh, for strain threshold. Uh, and that's because well, they're vampires, and well, they do have that sort of, especially in social encounters, they're not going to be messed around. Um, they're not going to be persuaded uh, to uh, to do the bidding of others. So they're they're if they were making some sort of a discipline check, they're not going to be too badly off. Um, so um, you know, and uh, they can trace their bloodlines back to true vampires anyway. Uh, and they also aren't going to compromise their loyalties too easily. Uh, so this gave me a net cost of minus five XP for a start. Yeah, for the brawn, yeah. For the brawn. Um, so then we get into the special abilities. Uh, so the one free rank um, is going to be in athletics, um, but I've also given them a free rank in coordination. Now, it may seem strange to give a brawn-based skill to this sort of character because they have a... Um, you know, that it's not spectacular, but it really fits the theme because they're half vampires. Um, and uh, with coordination, I'm a big fan of celerity, uh, which is from White Wolf's Vampire the Masquerade. 
so they're yeah. nimble. Yeah. They're, they're moving around. They're jumping all over the place. And this, you know, the vampires are also supernaturally strong and agile. So adding these two made the most sense without going crazy with, you know, increasing brawn and, and agility to threes or anything crazy like that. Uh, so this is sort of what I was talking about before that you can give, you can give certain themes to species without actually increasing their base attributes, but yeah. linking their skills instead. Yeah. So that's going to cost me, um, minus five XP. So yeah. I'm well and truly into the negatives now. Now you're down to what? Now down to 90, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then we go into other unique rules. Now they're vampires. So they're a thing of the night. So uh, a dampier has excellent night vision. Uh, so when making skill checks, your character removes up to two setback die imposed due to darkness. So this is just an ability straight out of uh, the core rules. Uh, and this is going to be my free unique ability. And it's worth about minus five XP. And again, this is a bit of a throwback to the lineage. But now for the not so simple stuff. The first one that I've got is hypnotic. Now, once per encounter, your character may spend a story point to downgrade the difficulty of any social skill check once. So this would be instead of upgrading their own skill, they could downgrade the skill instead. Really helpful when it comes to, you know, speaking or convincing uh, NPCs when you're having to make opposed checks, which tend to be the, the when you're doing social skill um, checks or opposed checks, that they're going to be the ones that are in the higher end of the scale with the number of upgrades because it's based on skills. And again, this is a real throwback to the heritage and a very cool ability, and it's quite powerful as well, I think. Such an ability, however, comes with a steep price. I've said that it's a negative 15, mainly because it works so well with its highest attribute. Yeah... I mean, yeah, I mean, downgrading difficulty. I mean, that's there. I, I think negative 15 is safe. You could probably get away costing it at negative 10, but I think negative 15 is safe. Yep, yep. So as of now, I've only got 75 XP to spend. So what am I going to do, do you think? Flavor, <laughs> Chris. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you see, there, there's, there's when I, when I think of anything with vampiric uh, heritage, um, mm. the first thing I think of is not their speed or strength or skill or hypnotic capability. Mm. It's uh, the fact that they become crispy critters in the sunlight. <laughs> and this is exactly what I've done. So uh, I'm calling it sunlight vulnerability. Now, the ability says, while in the presence of sunlight, as determined by the GM, a Dampier upgrades the difficulty of all checks they make once. That's right, all checks they make once. If the source is particularly large, concentrated, or encompassing, the GM may upgrade the difficulty twice. Full cover clothing may remedy this problem, but in such cases, it still upgrades the difficulty of all social, perception, and vigilance checks once while worn. Yeah. Now, this is nasty. And I really kind of, there's two places where I got the inspiration for this. One is um, it's an ability straight out of Keyforge Secrets of the Crucible, which is something that I don't think we use often enough. Um, It's on page 52, uh, and it's basically worth plus 15 because 
This is a negative ability that's always on. <laughs> but it really suits the character in, uh, in what their curse is all about. Uh, they mm. basically inherited it from their, their kin. And, uh, you know, it, it's something which, you know, every vampire that creates another vampire, it's, it's another vulnerability that's, that's always passed down. So there's no reason why that this shouldn't happen to the Dampiers. Question. Um, hmm. In, in Keyforge for yes. that ability, does it have the thing that, that, uh, the, the restriction is lessened if they have full cover clothing? No, it doesn't. I, I, I think in that case, I think you're, I think you're overcosting this at plus 15, man. Oh, okay. All right. I mean, I mean, well, just because, I mean, that's an easy, fine, fine. Wear full, full cover, cover clothing. Hmm. And oh no, my social, uh, I mean, I get it. It's a, it's a presence focused character, but still right. their com their combat checks aren't affected. Their general hmm. skills aren't affected. Their knowledge skills aren't affected. Their magic skills aren't affected. Mm -hmm. I, I like, I, if, if you, if you leave that in, I would I would probably make it plus ten instead of plus fifteen, oh, but that's okay. just me. Well, hey, look, I'm more than happy to to take some XP back. <laughs> well, that would drop you. That would drop you down. I mean, because yeah, because yeah, I mean, because yeah. if, if, if it's plus plus fifteen, you'd be at ninety. That would put you at what eighty five. Eighty five. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. Or um, you could just but, take you could take you could take the clothing part out and just say they can only operate it, you know, without penalty. In the absence yeah, of sunlight, and then see, you can... the, as I said, there was a second inspiration, and the, the second inspiration was the character from uh, Preacher, uh, where he's sort of um, always rubbed up, and he seems he's got all of his clothing on and glasses mm, on, and whatever yeah, else. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that sort of makes a nice little character as well. Um, so, and look, you know, they're, they're not taking damage from it because they're not true vampires. Uh, but they are certainly, um, you know, the, there is a big negative there. But um, I, look, I, I get your point. Um, and yeah, I'm happy to take off um, that uh, that five so that uh, it's going to make things a little bit worse. But yeah. we'll see how and it you, works. And again, if you find that's undercosted, I mean, you know, adjust, yeah. adjust it through playtesting. That's the other thing, too, again, guys. None of this yeah. has been playtested, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is straight off the top of my head. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of things um, having being involved in, in writing for for um, Edge now and FFG before it. There's plenty of stuff that gets thrown out there, and it comes back from the playtesters to go, nah, yeah, that doesn't work. So yeah. uh, that's why we keep on going on about it: playtest, playtest, playtest. As our uh, as our uh, you know almost our mantra is that. These sorts of things, we're we're doing it to the best of our knowledge, but it doesn't always work. Some, you know, nothing survives contact with the players, so that's an important thing <laughs> to to consider. Um, but I've basically got eighty five XP as uh, the starting XP uh, for this particular character. I like it. I like it mm. a lot. Mm. It's fun. Uh, that's good stuff. Well, guys, you're going to be able to see these obviously in our show notes when they're posted up. Yep. Give them a, give them a play test. Uh, you know, let us know what you think. Let us know what you think of the builds. You know, if we, if we messed up, if you suggest something else, we really love to get the feedback from you guys. It's incredibly, incredibly worthwhile, but that's the last of our, of our high characteristic focus builds when it comes to archetype creation. Mm. Holy. So what are we going to do now? 
Well, well, for 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 that series, there's one other I would like to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how soon we'll get to it, but I would like to get into. And honestly, it's not going to be complicated. Mm-hmm. I would like to get into a discussion. If if you guys want it, let us know what you want. If you, if you guys would find value in this, we'll do it. If not, well, I, we won't do it. But um, I'd like to get in a discussion of the average archetype. Somebody with all twos across the board. Because there it comes down to your, you know, do you provide free skill rank or do you provide extra special ability? Like, it's interesting, right? There's there's many ways to skin a human, as, as a damn peer would say. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um. So, so I don't know. I, I think there's some fun to be had there. People, people, people rush to the the specialty uh, uh, species and archetypes so quickly. There's a lot to be said for a vanilla archetype, mm. but you have to balance that out with the appropriate special abilities. And I think that's really where that conversation would yeah, go to. Absolutely. And I would love to do just in this sort of vein. I would love to cover, um, and I know that it, it's more about you know, just going through as per the rules. But certainly some things to keep in mind when doing the, uh, especially the Balancing Act, is uh, creating species directly from Keyforge, Secrets of the Crucible. Yeah, that, that's that's its own that's its own show, man. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Not, yeah. not this one. Yeah, so we kind of have in this sort of segment, I guess we have two more to go. But as Chris said, if there's yeah. anything else, that you want us to talk about, let us know. And with that, man, I think it's time. Uh, I don't really have a sexy segue for this, but um, <laughs> I really, I really want to get into breaking the mold. And because, as 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 Huli said at the start of the show, we 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 and and apologies to to Phil and Brett. We we recorded this with them some time ago. This mm. this has been this has been waiting in the wings. And and since we recorded this, Mechasis has gone on to Electrum selling status <laughs> yeah. um so so it, it's a phenomenal supplement i'm very eager to talk with, with them about uh for you for your guys to hear us talk to them about obviously we've already talked to them about it but one of the one of the big announcements we had for gamer nation con which obviously there's a lot of genesis play <laughs> gamer nation con <laughs> uh you know d20 radios convention one of the, one of the things we announced was our theme we always do have a theme we try to do themes so we our theme for next year for gamer nation con 8 is going to be gamer nation con 80s mm. right and when that was announced, Phil, who it, it, and I'm sure Brett will probably come too, but but Phil, who's definitely going to come, announced that he would be using the Mechasis rule set that they'd created to run a Transformers game. Oh yeah, and 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 and, and the room just kind of like just went uh, and vibrated and vibrated just a little. I'm doing something really weird that I've wanted to do for a long time. Oh. Did you ever see a movie in the 80s? It's one of my favorites. It's a cult classic called The Last Starfighter. I do. Yes. I love that film. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, I've, I've, I've written an adventure module uh, called The Last Starfighters. Oh. And it takes place 40 years later. <laughs> cool. Um, and it's going to be almost completely vehicle combat in the Genesis rule setup. Wow. Good job. With my uh, with my new 3D printer, I've even got some STLs of of the Gunstar. Oh, and I have I have purchased. I I went to Fiverr actually and paid a guy a few bucks. It was pretty amazing. I gave him pictures of the Kodan deck fighters, the the enemy ships, and had him make STLs for me. Oh wow! Um, so I'll be yeah, dude. I'm I'm going I'm going all out for this man. It's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be amazing. Epic, even. 
<laughs> epic, epic. But speaking of epic, should we mm-hmm. should we go ahead and get into breaking the mold? I think so. Let's go. Breaking the mold. The Genesis Foundry is an exciting community of fan-created content for Genesis. New settings, new rules options, adventures and campaign modules, and a much, much more. But some creators go above and beyond, subverting our expectations and breaking the mold with their work. Our Breaking the Mold segment is dedicated to showcasing an exciting offering available right now in the Genesis Foundry as we separate the pure alloy from the slag and point you to the best content out there. Now, tonight's product is a supplement released earlier this year in the Foundry that we've been dying to talk about for quite some time. Already an Electrum bestseller, it adds a comprehensive new rule set to its over 50 pages that caters to those of us who grew up watching Gundam, Robotech, or Transformers. That's not me, Chris. Um, <laughs> it brings the awesome concept of of giant robots or, uh, or mecha to your Genesis table. We're talking about the supplement of Megasys by Studio 404 Games, which has brought us sub- several amazing Foundry products since their Foundry launch offering of the much-loved Starkana setting. So Mechasis takes this daunting concepts of Mecha, puts it in Genesis the right way. It pays honor to the source material of inspiration by making Mecha more than just a supplement of new vehicles. They have their own personalities. They have their own version of talents or, or upgrades, of which there are over 30 in the book, along with 25 actual player talents. Equipment, weaponry, unique creation rules that combine the player devotion and care of character creation to a giant piloted robot adversaries too of course and new rule subsystems for mecha combat and use all of which dovetail into the principles of the narrative dice system seamlessly um a mark as we'll talk about hopefully of the intensive playtesting that preceded this release not to mention the amazing mecha art god do i love their art uh look we're eager to dive into this so let's welcome back to the show two of the designers uh, and developers behind Mexis, uh and friends of mine and yours as well, Chris, Studio 404's Phil Moeski and Brett Bowen. Boys, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having us. Oh, glad you're here, man. Glad <laughs> you're here. Um, I am so excited. Me <laughs> <laughs> too. Ever since we put this thing out, it's like, I can't wait to go on the forge and talk about it. <laughs> um, uh, you, you guys did a really good job, but I, I want to talk about it. But look, but before, before we get into that, let's do some basics. Look, you've both been on this podcast before, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you, you are familiar voices for our listeners, but it's been a minute. Mm. All right, so so tell us what games have been occupying your playtime in the last year. I mean, seriously, since we talked to you, man, what what are you guys throwing on the table? Uh, well, I'm involved in two five E games actually. Uh, a couple really, of my old Ooh, friends cool. are running five E. It's the first time I've had in a long time that I actually had to play in in a game, it's having a grand time playing a uh, Dragonborn cleric in one of them uh, cool. and a fighter crossbowman who's very much designed after uh amos from the expanded uh from the expanse nice absolutely cold ass mfr (laughs) who just calls it like it is um but it's fun it's fun um other than that i've been continuing the Star kind of game that I've uh, that I started way back when we were first playtesting and first actually not playtesting uh, first getting it going 
Mm. Um, there was a bit of a hiatus there, but we finally seemed to have gotten our schedules and, you know, dealt with enough of COVID so that we're able to meet up again. And so we got that going and then that's going on at a good time. But other than that, I honestly haven't been doing a heck of a lot. I'm mostly just, most of my other gaming is done playtesting, whether it was Megasys or whether it was other things that, you know, Studio 4.4 is working on. Brett, however. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I should preface this um, list with the fact of because I am in baby jail, uh, as the movie defenders guys call it, um, I started this whole gaming online thing like five years ago. Uh, So the pandemic just made more people online with different games to play. So um, I continue playing earth on fourth edition because I've been helping run a West March's online game for several years now. Um, I've expanded into uh Shadowrun six edition. My role master game went online. I've done some cyberpunk red, not to mention the video game of 2077, which was amazing. <laughs> um, I've gotten a couple of games of dragon uh, dungeon dragons, five E, Primarily because a friend of mine started up their own virtual tabletop called Questline, uh, which is a lot of fun and is in, still in development, but it has a lot of great tools to make a very good uh, virtual table for you. Um, mm. Darren West has uh, brought me into uh, his Savage Worlds Star Trek game. I got into uh, <laughs> Villains of Vigilantes game. And into nobody, a re- no, nobody, nobody runs Savage Worlds like Darren. He's amazing. That's, no one. That's probably true. No <laughs> yeah. one. Dude, yeah, that 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 man will convert you to that system in a heartbeat. One game, and you're like, okay, I get it. <laughs> yep. uh, further, we actually had him and Kate out this way uh, for a week, and we had our own little mini uh, Gamer Nation Con East at our house. <laughs> and he ran Savage Worlds Pathfinder, and um, he also ran a playtest of Hadrian's Shard Part Two. Oh. <sighs> Something else I know we'll have him on the show to talk about. That's yeah. absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, also, as a bit of research for Mechasis, I played some old school battle tech and, of course, playtesting various Genesis settings. <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, I think most of our listeners, Brett, are probably throwing things at their uh, at their headphones or or their their phone or whatever they're using to listen to this podcast car uh, radio, at, yeah. at the car radio at the amount of gaming that you're doing um <laughs> i know i am um, me too but dude so you know you talk about doing that research uh, that that's a great segue actually to lead us into this let's Let's talk about Mechasis, boys. Mm. Give us the pitch. Tell us about it. How how would you describe this to someone who's looking to purchase it? You know, ultimately, what makes Mechasis different from other supplements and what content can players expect to find in it? Mm. So I guess the elevator pitch is, do you dream of piloting a 30-meter tall robot against giant monstrosities from outer space? Um, do you long to jump into your military grade mass produced combat suit and fight against uh, a fascist nations bent on conquering or just annihilating the earth? Yes. Um, <laughs> do you dream of uh, fire, uh, firing up your uh, star, um, your um, ether powered mecha? steam and engine and fighting against uh and and using it to explore the the strange frontier of hollow earth all these things are possible with mechasis it is a comprehensive and i love using that word uh, <laughs> it is a comprehensive system that a system agnostic 
rule set that allows you to create and pilot giant robots, be they humanoid, animalistic, or transforming, and use those in adventures and have each and every one of them be unique as you are, as your character is. And I, I want to talk about this too. Like, like the breadth is there because you, you, you include all that. And even then in my, my, my uh, initial intro, I talked about giant robots, but especially as we'll talk about with some of the art in this, it makes it very clear. And as you, if you read the rules, you can see it's not necessarily giant robots. As you mentioned, it's also like, just like mecha suits. I mean, you can go 40 K or starship troopers, the book, mm. Yep. On 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 this, I mean, with like a silhouette to, you know, mecha suit, basically. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, and you can go all the way up to Voltron and Pacific Rim, because if you go and try to find any of these like size comparison charts that folks have put together, those suits are huge. Those are like I want to say like me- uh, uh, Pacific Rim suits are like silhouette five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're so, like skyscrapers. Yeah. yeah they're, they're like 80, huge. 90 meters tall. They're huge because the kaiju they're fighting are just as big. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Mechasis can handle that. It handles Mecha all the way from Silhouette 2 all the way up to Silhouette 5. Wow. Yeah, meanwhile, like you said, for the Voltron, the lions themselves are probably Silhouette 3 easy. Yeah. yeah so yeah. what do they combine into? Probably yeah. Silhouette 4. At the very least. Four or five. Yeah, 4 or 5. Yeah. 4 or 5. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's that's what Megasys allows you to do. The, the the initial design behind it was very like almost kitchen sink level. Like let's do everything, <laughs> and then after months and months of bashing heads against the wall, it's like let's not let's <laughs> let's let's do the whole like all right, let's get the basics down. Let's get the basics out there. Keep it simple. Some great. Add uh, some great recommendations by Keith Capel because Keith got an early look at it and he gave some great recommendations. One of them was, you got a lot in here, Phil. I just want to grab mm-hmm. a suit, give it some stats, slap some guns on it and go. And I'm like, that mm-hmm. is brilliant. <laughs> so that's essentially what our design goal was. Yeah. It was easy to put it together just like that. Now, in terms of the supplement itself, though, all I mean, I, I can't let this pass. You guys have some phenomenal art. In this supplement, we do, we do. Yeah. We got really lucky and found some very skilled artists. Uh, we have the cover by Ardian Hadayat, um, this great guy who's got some, and we've we linked all these artists uh, back in February, I think, on our website. So if you go to Studio Four Four, mm-hmm. our Facebook page, or yeah, our Facebook pages, go back that far, you can find their artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we were doing wonderful. we were doing artist highlights before yeah. releasing the book as we were warming up to it. Yep. It was a phenomenal marketing tool. I honestly think, you know, and when you have that, when you have that kind of art and you're you're putting this much effort and as long as you guys took writing this and playtesting it, it was a phenomenal way to market the product for pre-release. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um there's sometimes a concept of like hiding the art and keeping it secret. No, share it. Get people drawn <laughs> in. That's what Hell Fantasy yes. Flight Games had done for years. They always had, you know, of course they had a much larger budget, so they had a larger pool to draw from. <laughs> but if you're out there and you've got some really good pieces of art and you're quote unquote saving it for the book, don't. Mm. Don't. Build yeah. buzz, build excitement, show the artwork, show it off. Yeah. 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 So there's Brett- also the challenge in the regard of 
there was not a whole lot of stock art for us to find in the first place. Oh, I was uh-huh. scrounging and scrounging. I have a whole bunch of different sites now, not just drive through, but a whole bunch of other things uh, to draw stock art from or even purchase. Um, if it can't be free, at least buy some. But even then I was coming up really blank. However, I also joined a couple of online communities for artists and had been enjoying and suffering through a lot of different <laughs> types of art over the year. Mm-hmm. And then it was time to go shopping for Mechasis. And I went, all right, I am looking for, <laughs> I am looking to hire these type of artists. Three hours. We had a hundred uh, people signing up to be our artists. Wow. And Phil was already be- looking through all of their, you know, their <laughs> profiles and all their various uh, offers of what type of art they've already done. And the next day, two we had three artists signed up yeah wow well there awesome. to, to be fair in, in terms of especially the fan art and the and the the amateur and aspiring professional artist community there's no shortage of f- fandom for mecca <laughs> <laughs> <You think? No. laughs> um gotta give quick two shouts out two quick two quick shouts out to jraz who did six of our interior mecca designs um you know they're very they're six very uh, they look different from all the others, but they're the bulk of what's in there. And they he gave us some really wonderful stuff, like the super the super robot style from like the old old early Japanimation stuff from the seventies uh, to like these Terminator Walker d- demon things. Uh, and Lance Dane, who gave us that very Genesis like artwork, that art mm. piece. I was gonna ask because because yeah. like and, and for and this is on the bottom of page six. It, mm-hmm. There is in the Genesis core art style of the white pencilish ink, barely inked drawings with the with the orange highlights. Yeah, the blueprint. There, yep. there is an awesome mech. He, yeah. he we showed him the the pages for Genesis from Fantasy Flight Games and says we want a mech and we want it done in this kind of raw tech data style. And he's like, oh, oh yeah, I can do that. I can do that absolutely. <laughs> Hands down, favorite piece. And nice follow-up. Lance apparently now has artwork in Lancers. Yep. Wow. A Lancer supplement is now sporting some of his artwork. So, you know, maybe we helped him get that gig. Maybe we didn't. Hey, portfolio's portfolio. Dude, that's that's phenomenal. That is cool. Okay. You know, you're talking about the art, the art, but yeah, and this is obviously great when it comes to the production, and so much was done into it. But I feel like we are getting a bit ahead of ourselves, and that's my fault, I think. But <laughs> what can you guys tell me about the design and development of Megasys? I want to understand how this was born. What did the development process look like? And more importantly, can I play RoboJocks with it? Uh, answering your last question first, absolutely. We have sucks. And I'm actually gonna, uh, I'm actually going to address something that some folks have asked about, and the folks just like the the the, the design of Mechasis looks very Gundam-like and Macross, and and that that high, yeah. very agile Japanimation style of of Mecha. Uh, the core rules themselves are written from a very lumbering vehicle perspective there are still firing arcs there are still like all the usual stuff you would expect to get from like a robot jocks game a battle tech game um there is an additional sidebar that's that we call like gentle giant uh uh, agile giants Um, graceful giants graceful giants thank you thank i knew there was an alliteration there (laughs) um graceful giants where basically you ignore mecha ig- those mecha using those rules ignore facing they are able to bring any weapon to bear in any firing arc mm-hmm. to simulate the gundams to simulate uh veritex and and valkyries and those fighters 
Um, yeah. yeah, if you want a big lumbering slug fest of two giant suits piloted by guys wearing Nintendo power gloves, <laughs> you can absolutely. I can, do I, can I can absolutely do that, and we'll, we'll hopefully we get into this. But oh, it also tickled me because I, I, I was re- when I started reading this, I was like, oh, I could do RoboJucks with this, and then I get to the archetypes, and you actually include an enhanced archetype, which <laughs> if, for those who've seen the horrible RoboJocks movie that I'm referring to now called classic. <laughs> you know, the, the whole thing is these these RoboJocks are going to be replaced by these genetically engineered, you know, humans, right? So, dude, yeah, I was I was absolutely thrilled. But no, seriously, t- talk to me about this, guys. How, how, where did this come from? How was it born? What was the development process like? Uh, one thing to throw in before we move on from that, though, in the introduction, we have a whole section dedicated to a session zero. Mm-hmm. This mm. section is the answer to all those questions of can Mechasis do this? Answer is yes, but you use the session zero. We have basically a checklist of questions for you to go through uh, to set what mecha are in your setting. Great idea. Because we're setting agnostic, but Mm. you have to ratchet down as to what mecha are. Are they this silhouette? Are they in a range of silhouettes? Are they only silhouette three? Um, are they, can they fly at all or do none of them fly? They just maybe have jump jets. That's our energy all... weapons a thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Our energy swords uh, a it's... thing. Our energy, uh, cannons a thing. You know, what, what's the limitations? Um, can, can you, are you restricting certain chassis? Are you restricting certain upgrades? The session zero is really where you, as the both game master and player group, make those determinations mm-hmm. of like, okay, what are mecha in our setting? Mm. As far as how the development went, um, this game was in development for a year. It was mm-hmm. a it was a long, long process of just trying to figure out how to do it, how how to do the mecha design, how to keep it like. Because I was inspired by an old game that I really loved and really enjoyed, uh, a mech ton yeah. uh, from Artelsorian Games, uh, mech ton two, mech ton Zeta. You know, all, all, all of those. I was a huge fan of them. I got that game on the table a couple times. Um, the design the, the design system for Mecha was immense. You could literally do everything in that system. And I'm not even exaggerating. Like yeah. giant super fortresses that transform into like uh, waifu cat girls, you know? It, it allowed it all. Yeah. Um, but obviously... Didn't want to go that crazy, <laughs> but it just took a while to kind of boil and uh, boil the uh, the game design down to what it you know close to what it is in the actual book itself, and then uh, we did about two three months of playtesting. Mm-hmm. You did the play te- the playtesting or sharing around that Keith Kappel commented on, yeah. and then we did the yeah I think easily three months of playtesting with the actual playtest group that's credited in the book. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yeah, and I, I felt it important to bring a a veteran mecha game designer, Jason Marker, into as a playtester. Mm. And Jason gave us some really great suggestions, including the support class, the the, the support mm. chassis. You're right. Yep. So, Phil, I yep. want to be able to do this. I'm like, oh, oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Let's 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 put that in. So hmm. he, I mean, he, to be fair, if he had seen you put this out and you hadn't invited him, he might not have let you. <laughs> I would not have looked at that. Right. I would not. I would not. Um, you would still be hearing about it. I'd still be hearing. About it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, as, 
as example by various other mecha games, it, there's a very high temptation to go very crunchy with mecha rules. Uh, you just want to build it from scratch. Your your inner you know rigor or jockey or whatever you want to call it uh, comes to the fore, and you really just want to build it from the ground up and modify and modify and modify and really get every little bit of advantage out of it. Um, and a few times we had to take a step back and make sure that it wasn't going over the line to get not as Genesis as possible. Mm. Um, one of these was what Phil mentioned with Keith Kappel. Another one was during the playtest period. Uh, I remember looking at the various uh, weapon upgrade talents or upgrades uh, that are similar to talents. Um, and it was just getting kind of kludgy. And it was weird that just upgrading this one weapon was taking a space in the upgrade pyramid. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, why don't we try emulating the weapon construction method from Keyforge, mm. uh, And yeah. that gave birth to the first expansion, big guns and blazing swords and the weapon design mechanics that are in there. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of that document. You should um, Because the funny thing was also after Mechasis came out, someone actually w- went online and left a comment about it's good, but I really wish there was weapon design rules. And we're like, <laughs> give us give us one month <laughs> we, we originally had the weapon creation construction rules mixed in with the core book and it was just too much mm. it was just yeah. too much like okay i just want to boil the essence down to pick chassis slap on guns go right mm. slap on guns means you're not building guns you just slap on guns so we have like 50 60 weapons mm-hmm. in the book that cover just about everything Hmm. We we got like got the basics down, so you you could absolutely design any mecha out there you want. Might not be as good, or but you know you get the essence there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there's you guys have a lot in there. We do. Now, okay, well, but you know when you talk about how much is in the book, like I don't think people understand. Like, and I I, I hinted at this earlier. It's not just a bunch of vehicles. Like <clears throat> these mecha are characters in their own right. They are okay. I mean, I mean, it really, is like a secondary creation system. You're playing two characters. Talk to me about the design intent around essentially playing two characters and and why that was implemented. So from the beginning, like before Mechasys even happened, um, I actually want to say like you mentioned it, Chris, way, way back when, when uh, there was a talk about making Mecha and you're like, give them character stats. Let's give them character stats. It'll be great. And that just originally back then I was like, no, 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 that's, that's not, that's not, no, no, they're, they're not characters, they're vehicles. But that just kind of sat there. It's, it sat in the brain filter for months, years even. And when it kind of came down to it, you think about the mecha shows that are out there. You think about like all the old force five, like guy King, star Avengers, uh, uh Grandizer, Mazinger, Robotech, Gundam, Appleseed, Pacific Rim. They're not just vehicles. Mm-hmm. they have persona they have ability some of them are more agile than others some of them are more brawny than others some of them have initial innate power reserves some of them look scary as hell mm-hmm. and that's part of their power well it's like even like narratively they have personalities yeah. i mean it's right. like they, they get testy they get temperamental you know big O, why aren't you doing this you know yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> The, the, the amount of times I would I would I would laugh my butt off watching Roger Smith scream at his watch would would just crack me up. Um, 
and in a lot of those stories, the mecha is being a force mag- multiplier for the characteristics of the person, not yeah. just their physicality and their fighting prowess, but also their personality shines right. through the mecha. And yeah. also in many ways, sometimes what is just this lumbering suit all of a sudden in the right pilot's hands becomes this nimble giant that is able to dodge around incoming missile and gunfire mm. when it shouldn't be because the pilot is just that good and the interface between the pilot and the machine is just that good. So that's why the mecha have their own stats. And as the game rules state, when a pilot is in that mecha for each of those six characteristics, whenever you make a skill check that's based off of those six characters, whenever you make a skill check, you use whoever's stat is better, the pilots or the mechas. Mm-hmm. See, that's absolutely brilliant. Uh, and obviously these sorts of, of things come about not just during the design process, uh, but obviously during the playtesting so, you know, when you're dealing with like the creation of adversaries and weapons and talents and, and just the whole process of design and testing all of that, uh, especially with the sort of content that you've had in this book, that it's obviously quite a daunting task. But for Mechasys, you introduced not only the the skill system that you've just talked about, but also an entirely new rule subsystem that is really at the core of play. Um, so what did the, the playtesting process look like for the the entire process for Mechasys? How did that what did that look like? Very it was developed in stages. Um, the first one was effectively character character creation. Um, we had mostly originally the Studio 404 crew um, designing mecha, building mecha, like crazy stuff, like, like break the system basically is what we were asking for. Um, <laughs> then alongside that, we realized that there weren't actually a heck of a lot of rules for actual mecha pilots. So from that, we came up with the idea of, okay, we need archetypes for mecha pilots of all, of all sorts, of all, of all uh, uh, genres and settings, you know, the kid, the enhanced, the, the, the veteran, the, the field scientist, all those things, and, and mm. associated talents to go with them. So initially, it was just all character creation stuff and mecha creation stuff, and we built all, out a bunch of mecha. Uh, I think we uh, asked a few of our other ancillary uh, uh, you know, friends to, to you know, just beyond the, the core 404 folks. Uh, they built some mecha, too, and shared them with us, and we, we liked what we saw. We got some great feedback, and we adjusted the rules accordingly. And then it came down to the time to play test where we did this kind of a similar round. It's like, okay, these rules are, the creation rules are kind of set and done. Build suits, build, build whatever you want. You know, you want to build the, the, the giant cannon monger gun mecha, go for it. You want to build the support unit by all means, you want to build the tiny punch bot, go for it. You know, and we had our play testers build that. I came up with this kind of like ad hoc homage to one of my favorite Gundam series for a setting. And we ran them through it and had a fun little mini campaign and has really tested the rules. In that, we actually got in, into testing like mecha interacting with each other and mecha combat and like what they can do and what they can't do and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. uh, that also allowed us to play with characters and mecha that advanced over the course of time, yeah. um, which was very important for OK, how, uh, because just doing it at certain build levels is one thing, but doing it as you progress and finding the places where you want to tweak and where you want to 
specialize into is are two different things. Also, as you're playing as part of a group, um, which is also where the support chassis kind of came into existence. Um, I really want to do this. And yeah, exactly. Um, another big thing that we discovered in, in actual playing is uh, we had to use zones to put up with the speed factor of Mecha uh, because they are working at vehicle speed. So we also had to ratchet our, you know, reintroduce the vehicle rules to everybody and mm-hmm. ratchet down like, okay, this is how movement and force movement works in vehicles. Um, so now we're trying to figure out how to do melee combat with forced movement <laughs> that was fun my 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 brother andrew designed basically the uh the gundam death side uh this energy blade wielding powerhouse that would be rocketing around the field at speed four because he could burn several of his he could burn a couple uh, uh of his forced movement things by engaging and then disengaging mm. So technically, we judge that by doing that, a, 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 an engage and a disengage counted as one "quote unquote" zone of movement. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, which is which is another thing we were using zones, very large zones. <laughs> <laughs> See, you mentioned zones, and Huli just like slid out of his seat. Like, like yep. his, his, seat, his seat got wet, and he just slid out of it because you mentioned zones. Yep. Did. Well. To be fair, I actually did talk with Huli at like the beginning of this going, so how are you doing zones again? Because we kind of need to know. (laughs) (laughs) We need to know right now. (laughs) Yeah. And it was extremely helpful. So one of the questions that I did have with regards to the the way that zones work, the reposition maneuver is always the one that, that seems to confuse some people because Hmm. it has the ability to be able to move within short range to move from short to medium and mm-hmm. then uh, to move from uh, from short range to engage. Yep. So can you give the listeners just a bit of an idea as to, because you just talked about uh, with force movement and whatever else, and Sam Stewart himself has said that force movement, when you talk range bands, that it can move from short to engaged range. Yes. So how did you guys handle that as far as knowing what your speed is going to be? Because you can soon run out of space, especially if you're going at a certain speed. So the reposition maneuver is, first of all, very useful for a mecha at speed zero because it allows them to still move and reposition. And even when your mecha is traveling at speeds three and speeds four, it still is costing you an additional maneuver to make that final last minute adjustment, whether that's that last bit of movement you need to get to engage range or whether it's something you need to just finally kick yourself out to to long range. Um, It gives the pilot just a little more flexibility as far as, okay, if I'm at speed two, I can get to short range and then I can reposition and be at engage and hit him with my beam saber. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I'm at speed one I can use reposition to disengage to short and then drop back to medium and be able to fire my my cannons without immediate fear of it just re, re, uh, re-engaging. Mm. Um, so it, it allows that final bit of adjustment that actually merged very well with force movement in play. Mm-hmm. It really did. And in my head, I see Macross and I see a, a mech 
back, you know, engaging with another mech, backflipping over him, and then firing chest thrusters to scoot back another yep. range band yep. before mm-hmm. launching off a shoulder cannon. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Like, how many uh, times have you seen that in a mecha anime? Okay. Exactly. Exactly. The, the reposition is also key for flyby attacks. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Because you have your first movement at the beginning of the round, and then you attack them, and then you disengage by taking your reposition or the other way around. Yeah. 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 Now there's one really important question though. It's when it comes to playtesting and mechanics that I've been kind of trying to ask, did any of the playtesters when they were building mechs, did they make though the, either of the two racist robots from uh, transformers revenge of the fallen? I think mud, mud flap and skids. You know, (laughs) that, ladies and gentlemen, it's the end of the episode. So, um... (laughs) I'm afraid, due to NDA, we can neither confirm or deny any such (laughs) infringement of other industries' copyright. I know. I can can see. I can see Brett crying into a pint glass. It feels like what happened, man. He's like, I had to fire a play tester. Why? You don't want to know. <laughs> just, just look in the drive. Just look at this. Look at this character sheet. I can't believe it. He even did a recording of the voices. It was terrifying. <laughs> oh. um, no, but I will say because of the flexibility of the setting that we used, we did experiment with some PC mecha being able to be silhouette four and some PC mecha being able to be silhouette two. The average was three, but we could go with that flexibility for either a 10 build point cost or a 10 build point um, coupon um, uh, return. So some of us, and I'm pointing at myself here, um, took the build that was, oh yes, I will happily take 20 extra build points and be a silhouette two dwarf on the, on the field. Um, but I will happily also have a very high speed and be very much at long range as, as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and you're yeah. going to missile, and you're going to missile, and you're going to missile. <laughs> oh, did they just field a silhouette for enemy? Am I really easy to hit that guy? That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of missiles, you also introduced some, some new missile mechanics here. Mm. Um mm. Yeah, um, unlike other games where, and, you know, by all means, whatever you folks choose for skills for your campaigns, be it ranged, melee, ranged heavy, ranged light, melee heavy, melee light, that's all well and that's all on you. If you're running a quote unquote mechasist campaign, we say, we recommend ranged, pilot ranged weapons be ranged, pilot melee weapons be melee, and gunnery is now split into the agility based skill gunnery cannons and the intellect-based skill, gunnery missiles. Because firing missiles from Mecha is more often about being able to calculate trajectories, timing, and be able to process and lock on a computerized system Mm. as fast and as efficiently as possible. Mm. Right. Um, There's a little little details that came. The other one I wanted to mention, and I know we're taking you guys' time, and I I don't want to keep you here too long, but... um, the other thing that that I I found very interesting as I was reading through, I was going through this document and I was going through the build process and I was like, I'm I'm like I'm like I'm sitting here and I've got a pen and pad as I, as I first read this. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to build a mech as we go. I'm going to follow the steps. I often do that, right? And I'm, I'm I'm going and I'm going and I'm like, I'm looking at myself and I'm like, these wound thresholds aren't that great. 
I mean, it's a mecha, but they're not that great. Like, this has got to be lethal. I mean, I this has got to be lethal. And then I get to, I get to limb removal. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, um, uh, limb limb sacrifice, which again, not only another incredible mecha trope from pretty much every yep. every anime that's ever had mecha in it, yep. but radically increases the survivability of not just the the mecha itself, but the pilot. Yes, yes. And that also, the whole concept of limb destruction, near and dear to my Battletech heart, mm-hmm. um, also <laughs> incorporated the idea of, okay, you've got all these guns, you've got a lot of these upgrades. Where are they? What limb, okay, if your mecha is about to be destroyed, what limb are you sacrificing to keep your mecha going, and what equipment are you losing because of that? So, if you've got these wings with your missile launchers on them, and you suddenly take a 10-point hit, and you have six wound, uh, six hull trauma left, you can negate that, effectively, quote-unquote, negate that hit of damage anyway, and lose a wing, and whatever equipment is mounted on that wing. You can do that for a limb. You can do an arm, a leg, a tail, a head. Can't do it for the torso, though. Torso is the <laughs> core, and, you know. Which is also why head. the torso and those various limbs all have limitations on the number of uh, hard points, I believe it was, uh, for the number of equipment that they can take. So yeah. you have to spread it out after a while. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. You can mount anything you want any limb. As, me- as much gear in a limb as you want, but there comes to, like the torso can only hold so much. Yeah. Um, so it's like, you can't just pack everything in the torso. You've got to put some stuff in, in other limbs. So, so you spread them out, you share them out. And, and there are ways to like, even mitigate that where you split systems and say, okay, it's not fully destroyed. And these, until these two limbs are destroyed. Um, but yeah, the whole limb destruction mechanic, like, um, and you know, if you roll triumph on an attack or you, or whatnot, you, uh, the attacker can choose what limb goes. So you can choose, like, okay, you've got the giant beam cannon on your right arm. Um, that's going away. That arm's going away. I'm tired of dealing with that. So, <laughs> gotcha. So, can you guys give us as we we kind of come to a wrap up here because we've been talking for um, over thirty minutes at this point. <laughs> um, can you give us a glimpse of something exciting or unique? in Mechasis to kind of whet our appetite. Um, and also perhaps share with us each your favorite thing in the supplement. Um, so because Mecha are characters, and we knew we wanted to build them in parallel with how you build characters, when we got to the section about the nitty-gritty, the details, not just the core chassis and not just the guns... All the extra stuff, all the neat little doodads, the the tougher build, the the, the tougher uh, 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 systems, the stronger hides. You know whether or not the thing can go into space, whether or not it can climb on walls, transform. Those are all upgrades. Those are talents for Mecha that are upgrades, and some mm-hmm. of the upgrades that we came up with based on classic tropes um, are are some of my favorites. Specifically, the one where we decided, okay. If Battletech is, in fact, an inspiration for this game, and there is the, as any Battletech player or mech warrior across all uh, media of the IP knows, there is the concept of the Alpha Strike. 
<laughs> where the pilot just says, screw my heat gauge. Every single gun I have on my mech is firing. You know, it's, it's, it's the Kylo Ren more, more, more. <laughs> and the Alpha Strike talent, uh, the Alpha Strike upgrade, excuse me, is, is that ability. It takes every single weapon system, it turns it into a barrage weapon, which is another thing that we came up with in this game. Mm. And uh, it fires everything. And for every additional weapon beyond that, you additionally take, uh, what is it? Strain? I'm trying to look at it here. Uh, yeah, add damage system equal system to the barrage rating. The mecha result suffers system strain equal to the number of weapons used in the attack. And all you mecha pilot, all you mech warriors out there, system strain in Battletech is effectively your heat gauge. Mm-hmm. You no, know, as mm-hmm. you lose system strain, your mecha loses the ability to do all kinds of extra things. Yep. So. So I'm I'm most proud of the the upgrade system and the the uh, BattleTech inspired Alpha Strike and also admittedly the Alpha Fighter <laughs> from from New Generation Robotech where <laughs> he just like oh it's too invid I'm just going to launch all sixty missiles at it <laughs> <laughs> so that that is that is that is something to whet the appetite the the upgrade system for Mecha and specifically the Alpha Strike. <laughs> Uh, I'm a, very much a fan of the new uh, item qualities that we put out. Uh, there's four of them, which are very key. Uh, but the, my particular favorite, as I mentioned before, I was a long range expert uh, in the playtesting, um, is long shot, which makes it easier for you to shoot at longer range, but makes it more difficult to shoot at shorter ranges. Mm. Yep, it's excellent for snipers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's it's fantastic. Uh, when I saw that, I was like. Like there's there's modern weaponry, like modern setting weaponry that I think that should be applied to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, your 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 Dragonoff is a wonderful rifle. Good luck trying to use it <laughs> at, right. at, at, at shorter than fifty yards. Good luck. <laughs> um, anybody uh, who's anybody who's uh, who's a fan of Mobile Suit Gundam Double O, the long shot talent was most definitely inspired by the Dynamis and my my, my boy, my Lock on Stratus. Just just <laughs> go look it up, Lock on Stratus, Gundam Dynamis. That, my friend, is a long shot weapon. Mm-hmm. See, you guys are getting hyper nerdy here. You have no idea. Like, I I decided to go different. We were talking about this earlier, but you have no idea how much part of me, the snarky part of me, wanted to start this conversation by going, so what's a mecha? Uh, <laughs> 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 so like like it's, it's a robot but it's big <laughs> right <laughs> they've made television shows about this that's fascinating <laughs> so many <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing we are giant nerds giant robot nerds and we knew genesis could handle it just had to figure out the nitty-gritty how and you know it took us more than a year but i, I feel like we did it yeah. See, Chris jokes about that, but I am that person. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've watched Macross Saga maybe once, and that's that's as much. Uh, I'm not a big fan of anime, much to uh, the chagrin of, of my son, who's mm. uh, a big lover and of your friends, and but yeah, pretty much everything. and our listeners. <laughs> 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 this is how you isolate yourself, people. And the internet. <laughs> and the person, the person coming up behind you with a garage. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the one that was designed on the prior episode of indeed indeed but it's, it's, a, it's, it's a mecha garage it's a light blade garage, <laughs> blade garage right? <laughs> just grinding metal oh i'm never gonna live that damn am i uh <laughs> just get on netflix watch the most recent voltron you'll be you'll be forgiven yes I do yeah, remember, it's incredible. I, yeah, it I is do so good. Watching um, the original Voltron as a kid, so uh, so yeah, you've got me there. So there you go. Yeah, so maybe I've watched more anime than I think I have. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all right. Sorry, Brett, we interrupted you. You were telling us more about uh, the sort of stuff that you loved. I mean, I could gush on and on about this thing. Um, <laughs> there are so many useful, like, okay, barrage. another fun barrage is a great, another item quality. Um, another great, I think it was a, ta- I forgot if it was a talent or an upgrade. I'm pretty sure it was a pilot, pilot talent, which was if you are engaged, you can immediately disengage Not. for like a couple of system strain, mm-hmm. um, which was key because I, my car- my mecha sucked at short range and was kind of short, short, small and squishy <laughs> because if you reduce your silhouette size, you're also reducing your, uh, your hull trauma and your system th- uh, threshold. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, no, I do not want to get hit at all, punched, etc. I want to stay out and nimble. So when they came rolling up on me to slug me or cleave me in twain with some gigantic ax, I was like, no, I am no longer engaged with you, sir. I say good day. <laughs> pilot talent quick step retreat that was it yep yeah. yeah i loved like uh we talk about the archetypes you introduce new player archetypes you know yeah. for obviously the non-mecha characters mm-hmm. the fact that you included a kid is mm. just again incredibly classic of of mecha right. anime mm. but m- more importantly the special qualities you gave the kid archetype because it's it's really not like from a stat perspective it's not a great archetype it's got it's got five twos and a one in brawn okay a very low wound threshold but a very high strain threshold which makes sense for a kid Mm -hmm. only 70 starting experience okay but you have this um gifted prodigy where you just get you like you only have 70 starting experience but you get 20 outside of that to spend on skill ranks and talents during character creation so in other words you're a kid you can't use that 20 to help boost your characteristics mm. but you're a prodigy so you can spend it on skill ranks and talents which mm-hmm. is totally fitting with the kid mecha pilots we see in anime exactly um, why a kid was given a billion dollar million because they're just <laughs> because they're just that good um and then another interesting one i, I hadn't seen before uh still growing mm-hmm. the first time you take the dedication talent it increases two different characteristics by one yep. which is a very interesting little one-off but again it's a kid it makes sense mm. um and then, of course, you've got a negative quality in there, too, because they're just a kid. So whenever they're making uh, any opposed check, they automatically add a threat to the results because they're just a kid. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I absolutely love that. And you it's things like that in the archetypes and also in some of the player talents as well. I love the tropes you were able to bring in. You have a I forget what it was called, but it was one of the player talents that basically like you have a criminal past. Oh, yeah. The background mm-hmm. talents. Yeah, the, yeah, like all the all the background talents they have, oh, and no, no, like no, no, yeah, literally criminal record, criminal yeah, record. Yeah, yeah. literally, your talent is you have a criminal record, and it, it means you get like class skills of like all these criminal uh, uh, skills on your career list. Okay, yeah, you get, but, you get three of them: coercion, skullduggery, and wise. 
Yeah. But but then you also it's like, you know, you're a criminal and people, you know, that that hurts you in various interactions. People know you're a criminal. And it, again, it's such a it's such an anime mecha trope. You know, it's like, well, Shenzhou, at least I wasn't in prison. You know, that, <laughs> you know, and, and, and he stares wistfully as he's holding his fist up close to his face, thinking about his past, you know, <laughs> or you want to do Suicide Squad, the mecha edition. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> that, that's a thing. That's mm-hmm. that's a thing. It's like, okay, we're fighting against this overwhelming force and we've got all these folks with life sentences and hey, if you're willing to pilot Mecca against the alien invasion hordes, we'll knock a few years off your sentence. The yeah. Mecca Foreign Legion. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, boys. So this is an incredible title. I am so grateful you came on to talk to us about it. I would encourage everyone to get out there and and, and pick this up. It, it is something that will add so much to virtually any setting you've got um people say well except for fantasy i was going to say my next proposal for you is to do and to give you something to look at for inspiration there used to be a d20 system went back using the open d20 system okay back when during the days of three five mm-hmm. called dragon mech mm-hmm. i don't know if you've heard of that before or well, read here's it the thing. why can't you use this for a fantasy setting exactly Magic <laughs> mecca uh, a silhouette. Uh, I would say that for your average fantasy setting, Silhouette Two Mecha is is perfect. They're powered by either magic or alchemy. Um, instead of energy weapons, they're just you know, they, they could still be energy weapons, but maybe they're like powerful magic weapons, you know? Yeah. And, and lightning and fire throwers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Lightning throwers, yeah. fireball chuckers. Yeah, you 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 absolutely can. And so, like, I want I want to bring that up because like Dragon Mech captured me when when it first came out, but then they had, they had like different Mecha for like each of the principal fantasy races, like, like Elven Mecha was actually tree based. Like they were, they were like Ents, right? Nice. They, they, they grew their Mecha. Um, orc Mecha, they were, they were, they were uh, labor powered. They had teams of orcs literally pushing a giant hamster wheel in the chassis. Oh. Oh, I love it. <laughs> like, 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 like that was the, yeah, it was, it was really pick it up. If you, if you don't have a chance, um, uh, it, it was great, but dude, so yeah, it, it can be played in any setting. And I'm, Great work, guys. Great work. Um, thank you. Thank you for coming on to talk to us about it. Um, the final question we want to ask you is, what is next for Studio 404 and the Foundry? So we've been working on a new setting uh, that is currently being dubbed Anarchy in Dragon City. Mm. This is a post-apocalyptic urban arcana setting where mega cities keep people safe from a raging global magical storm while also trapping them inside of a draconic dystopia. Magic and cybernetics augment players beyond the scope of normal people for a price. You are Lancers sticking it to the Drakes one job at a time. The development of this setting is what led to the legwork and larceny uh, toolkit. Ah, Because playing various games similar to this, it became apparent that... um, all the various things that were put into legwork and larceny of just having it be upfront, having it not be PC versus GM confronta- confrontationality uh, is, was the goal of removing that from, uh, by using legwork and larceny, having everything nice and upfront, having obvious costs and kind of back and forth, but also giving the GM tools to spring surprises on the PCs, but they get something back, namely the story point uh, mechanic that I put in there. Hmm. God, that's awesome. Uh, 
<laughs> I can't wait. I can't. But I'm I'm a huge fan of like I'm a huge fan of noir. Period, which mm-hmm. is why I love cyberpunk, which is why I love Shadowrun, which is why I love Urban Arcana, which is why I love Blades in the Dark, which is why I love. <laughs> um, Me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is why, if you scroll back about 35 minutes to my list of games that I've been playing, you'll see a bunch of the research that I was doing over the past year um, because we came up with this idea back in like 2019. And this is part of the funny story. Uh, the original name was Lancers because that's what the, pe- the place players are going to really be, right? right? And then I get to Gen Con 2019. And I look up and there's this gigantic sign of Lancer, the big mecha game that's coming out right now. <laughs> yes. And I just kind of stood there in the middle of Gen Con all by myself and went, damn it. <laughs> damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Drawing board. <laughs> God. Well, when can we expect Anarchy in Dragon City? We are currently looking at a quarter two of next year. Hopeful release. Phenomenal. We are in playtesting right now um, with great people such as uh, the Studio 404 people, as well as uh, Darren West and Kate Cunningham. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, I'm, we might do a second round of playtesting at some point after we nail down a lot more things. Uh, but really, the goal right now is to nail down the setting, the world, uh, to really give it a lot more character, breathe some life into it. Because the rules came to me pretty easily, <laughs> as they are wont to do. But um, I actually started a lot of the uh, development of the world back in uh, the Adventure Writing Academy. Of right. just, okay, this is what you're doing for your homework. All right, this is what I'm doing for my homework. <laughs> nice. Very nice. And for those not familiar, you can you can uh, go to AdventureWritingAcademy.com, uh, which is co-run by Keith Ryan Kappel um, and is a... Everyone I've ever talked to says it was the most impactful thing they've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Who, who's, who's taken it hands down? Um, but it, it's basically a masterclass of creative writing designed specifically for those who want to work in the RPG industry. And you get to meet a whole bunch of industry professionals uh, because there's a guest speaker at every session. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Two of which might be on this podcast right now. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, gentlemen, thank you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> what a great conversation to be having with those guys there, Chris. Um, so, look, if you're wanting to find more about Megasys, um, there are a couple of other podcasts that have had them on since. Uh, we recorded this particular uh, part of the show. Um, so go and check those out. You can find more about them on uh, at uh, 404 Studio. Um, and also take a look at some of their great products that they've got from uh, Starkana as well as uh, Megasys. Uh, and you can find that at the uh, Genesis Foundry on DriveThruRPG. But for now, I think that it's time for Under the Hammer. All right. Under the Hammer. And welcome to Under the Hammer, the segment where we answer your games and rules questions about the Genesis RPG as it impacts both rules, content creation, and play. And we've got more great listener questions this week. 
Of course, if you would like to get your questions to run to the top of the queue, just visit patreon.com forward slash Forge Genesis and become a tier two Patreon supporter today. All right, Chris, bring us our first question. Oh, man. I have a lot to say about this. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you this came do. in from this came in from Valentry uh, via via our, our Forge Discord channel. Um, he said, "So a few gaming groups of mine eventually reached a high level of XP, um, and most published adversaries have low power levels. So I had to adjust. A uh, few tips I employed, some from the Forge. Uh, thank you. Uh, like adding more minions, <laughs> raising stats, etc. Work, but I'd like to hear more ideas. Um, I used the power level table from the EPG to figure out how much I needed to upgrade adversaries to the group's level, and I even converted some of the minions to rivals. Um, I'm probably answering my own questions here, but I've always felt challenged by the idea, especially the balancing part. Uh, this increases even more now that the group has powerful gear besides high XP. How do you adjust your combat encounters for high XP groups? <laughs> I'm just going to uh, let uh, just wind Chris up and go. <laughs> Dude. Okay, Valentry, um I would di- I I I have recorded an entire episode about this, okay? And I'm going to direct you to it. Um it, it's not directly Genesis, it, it but it's still narrative dice. Go listen to Order 66 podcast episode 76, well, which is called What to Expect When You're Expecting. Okay? Uh this episode was all about high XP play. Um and we even welcomed uh Star Wars and Genesis writer and game designer the incredible the incomparable Keith Kappel. Um, onto that episode to talk about it and give his perspective and his thoughts. And he, based off that episode, and and, and well, and, and this episode was kind of a follow-up to that, he w- came to Gamer Nation Con the year we released that, and he ran a Star Wars game where it was a party of Jedi Masters. So we're talking like 1,500, 2,000 experience points. <laughs> okay, the character sheets were six pages long. Okay, <laughs> and he ran it. Right. So I would direct you to that episode. Okay. It's got some great advice for you, but I want to, I want to summarize some of the key points from that episode that I think apply to Genesis very well in my experience. I think this was definitely true in star Wars and I've seen it to be true in Genesis. I don't think it's as big a problem as we think it is because we have to understand the difference in high level play, high level in quotation marks in this (laughs) system versus your traditional RPG. This system, Narrative Dice, is different from the majority of RPGs out there where, where players can advance their abilities. And th- that's the bottom line is you don't you don't need necessarily to scale up powerful threats. It sounds like you've done a good job doing that. Great. But the bottom line is a mook with a pistol can still kill you. Mm-hmm. Right? And and with the exception of very hyper focused builds with hundreds and hundreds of XP under their belt, a PC's ability to take damage is not going to be dramatically increased as they rise in experience. Um, in fact, it's even harder with the Genesis talent pyramid system. Okay. Mm. Whereas you could, you could monkey it in star Wars very easily. Okay. Mm. Usually they're going to have the opportunity to increase their wound threshold by two to six um, up, up into high XP play and, and strain by one to three. And that is, that's just not a significant improvement, man. It's not so much about the damage they're dealing. It's about the man- damage they can suffer. Okay. Now armor equipment can make them harder to hit. Yes. But when they are hit, they're still almost as squishy as they were when they were beginning characters. That's just a reality of the system. And then additionally, even with their great equipment, their ability to inflict damage shouldn't be drastically increased. I mean, even if they got better weapon, um, better weaponry, the the occasional damage increase talent. 
um, which there are, there are some. Um, or more commonly, though, more generated successes due to increased skill ranks and a combat skill. Like most PCs, even at higher XP levels, are going to see roughly three to five points of damage increase um, over lengthy careers. That's that's just a reality. That's assuming they have the same weaponry. If they have better weaponry, that might go to you know five to seven points of average damage increase over lengthy careers. Yeah. Um, and that's not super drastic to manage. It's just not. Because high XP foes are going to balance that, that out with increased ranks in uh, more difficulty upgrades to cancel out those positive dice. Um, and that really leads to the the next thing and, and the first you – know, I mean, I just told you, I don't think it's as big of a problem as you think it is. But it, the best way to balance this, the best way to balance this is adversary talent. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This single, simple talent goes an incredibly long way towards balancing anything out at, at higher XP play. Use it. Use it properly. Um, by by an average earned party XP of 200 XP earned, not starting, but earned per player, every rival they face should have this. And your mm-hmm. nemesis should have at least two ranks in it, at least. At 300 or higher earned XP, you should be adding plus one to those numbers. Your rivals should be having two ranks in adversary. Your nemesis should be having three or more ranks in adversary. Okay. That, that is the simplest and easiest way to adjust a threat if you need to and make them so much more survivable. If you've got an increased damage output on your party. Hmm. Um, the last pieces of advice I would give you, uh, Valentry, um, are actually uh, game construction and, 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 and narrative, um, both stats and narrative. Challenge the PCs in two ways. Challenge them mechanically and challenge them narratively. You talk about a combat encounter, but there's many ways to structure that. So let's talk about mechanically first. Look at your PCs. Check out their character sheets. Determine what they're good at and give them opportunities to leverage those abilities. Okay. But likewise, hit them in the dump stat, man. (laughs) Challenge their weaknesses. Whatever they're weak in, even in high XP play, make that something they need to do in the encounter. Okay. Or, or or have to deal with a situation that 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 goes against their biggest weakness. Um, the other thing too, uh, from a mechanical standpoint, obviously look at your PCs, hit them in the dump stat. Um, change your skill difficulties. I mean, I mean, adversary is the, is the obvious way to do that from a talent standpoint. But you know, let them let them roll their massive skill pool with average versus hard checks, but maybe with extra setback die thrown in for variety's sake. Okay. Um, also gives them a great justification to use their 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 talents that remove setback die. Um, you can do that and throw setback at them for for more challenging situations. But likewise, throw some serious skill difficulties at them. I mean, dude, formidable with three upgrades, multiple setback dice. Okay, go go hog wild. If they're if they're if their positive dice are are moving up, move the negative dice up. Um, the last thing I can recommend for uh, mechanics is your NPC stat blocks. Um, you know, despite everything we've said, dude, a group of three minions is still a threat that needs attention. Hmm. But if you want to scare high XP PCs, possibly hurt them badly, put those same minions into groups of five or six. You don't even need stat adjustments. I mean, Huli, hmm. with six guards, with six guards, hmm. the attack roll on a longbow or a rifle suddenly goes from two yellows and a green to three yellows and two greens. Mm-hmm. Okay, going from three minions to six. Okay. Yep. yep. 
Like, like it, it's like you, you know, you, you say, okay, I'm having to fight rivals now, dude. You can totally do that. Combine minion groups, and they still get to feel like big damn heroes because one good shot's going to take out a minion from the group. All right, but a group of five or six minions should freaking terrify your party because you're, they're suddenly rolling an insane pool. Okay, so don't be afraid to make high minion groups as well. Um. The last thing, and we really talk about this in the episode, so go listen to it, but challenge the PCs narratively. I cannot stress this enough. You can keep the threats the same, but use higher stakes. It's all about the stakes, okay? At this level of advancement, the PCs are legitimately in the range of affecting an entire nation with their actions, or a planet, or a realm, or dimension, or a galaxy, whatever your setting is, right? You know, they, they steal the MacGuffin, but it affects an entire race of people. They assassinate the evil emperor, but it causes a war that is going to leave trillions dead unless they do something about it. Okay. Up the stakes, up the stakes. You want to challenge your players. You don't necessarily have to challenge them mechanically through combat. Challenge them through narrative stakes that are escalating to that degree. If they're at that high level of XP, to use Dungeons and Dragons terminology, I apologize. If they're in the high teens, okay, from a level standpoint, that's where they should be operating at. I mean, major like like kings and leaders and 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 empires are going to go to them to solve problems. But when you have a problem of that scale, the consequences are going to have to be of equal scale. And if they screw up, because they will, because bad dice rolls happen, <laughs> they have to deal with that. And, and like, in all my gaming man and narrative dice for so many years now, that is the best way to continually challenge and interest high XP players. I mean, you can adjust the mechanics with everything we talked about, sure. But, dude, change the narrative. Bring the stakes up as well. That's the, the best thing you can do. Mm. I Whew. would agree. That was <laughs> a lot of info. Yeah. Um, I'm going to add a couple of things there, if you don't mind, Chris. Please. So one of the things that – because I've run a campaign where they got into the, I think, uh, in Dragon Squadron, which was Star Wars, uh, they got into the vicinity of around about 1,400 XP. Uh, and we played every single fortnight, every single two weeks, for those people who don't use the word fortnight, um, that, uh, and we played that for two and a half years. And they got up towards the end. Uh, to that higher XP. And if there's one thing that I can say is that I rarely needed to do much at all. As you said right at the start, it's not necessarily a problem. People see it as a problem because they suffer from the whole, you know, D&D as people are progressing per level, so do the monsters, so does the gear, everything like that has to be, it's, you know, mechanically designed like that, that it has to go up all of them, and then once it hits, you yeah. know, tenth level, they're about it breaks. But the thing is, is that with with this system, with the narrative dice system, generally it doesn't. And I agree with all of the points that you've basically said. A few things I would probably add in there as well. Um, but uh, you know, you've you've pretty much hit the nail on the head with all of those things. And for 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 you or anyone else, like I and I, I hope I got this across. If you're mm. looking for a genuine mechanical fix, mm. like just increase the size of your minion groups. It's the stupidest, mm. simplest thing you can do. Okay, mm. 
and and you and it will scare the piss out of them in play. <laughs> Just increase the size of minion groups, and then <laughs> adversary talent. Those are the only two things you really need to know if you need to feel that you need to upgrade your threats. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm a big proponent of, because there's no rules that says that a minion group can't have talents. It's not recommended, but if if you're going to do something, do it so that it's very, very simple. And the best way to do that, and you mentioned it before, is adversary. And all that it takes is one rank of adversary on a group of, say, you know, thugs, and suddenly they become ninjas, and it changes the the gameplay dramatically because the PCs don't sort of see, like, despairs will come up more often. And so, you know, PCs will either be afraid of going, well, how am I going to, you know, what am I going to do if I roll a despair? How bad is it going to get? Um and, and things like that, and all that it's going to take is another flip of a of a story point, and suddenly you're fighting a minion group that uh, you're having to roll two red die, and that's going to freak people out yeah, <laughs> in yeah. a really big way. So, a hundred percent agree that the adversary talent is useful in everything, not just rivals and, and nemesis, uh, but also in uh, for minions as well. But Again, it's not a recommendation to to go and do that with minion groups is to add all sorts of complications. Minions are there purely to make matters easier for the GM. That's the, the whole reason why minions are designed that way is so that they operate in a group, they roll one, uh, one dice pool, and so you're not having to deal with, you know, 50 million orcs you know, that you have to roll individually. They're, they're bunched up in groups to make the the paperwork easier for the GM so that he can focus, he or she yeah. can focus on the story. Yeah. Um, the a- Another thing that I'd like to mention as well that doesn't get used very often um, is the, um, I can't remember what it's called. I could look it up. But basically it's where you give your main nemesis an additional action in the turn. <laughs> and this is that's going to come into play for one of the other questions we got too. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, but that's but, something but you that can, you can yeah. do. Yeah. And you can, it means you can, you can that, absolutely do that. Yeah. Yeah. It means then that they're going to be acting twice. Yes, their their next action is going to be at the end of the round. But if they're a good nemesis, chances are that they've probably going to be acting at the start of the round perhaps or or close to the top of the 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 initiative uh, tree and then they're going to be doing one round of attacks and then they're going to be doing another round of attacks pretty much straight away so that's another way without changing anything is to basically be using that as as a really cool ability and that works really well in in something that we'll talk about shortly as chris just mentioned so that's probably the yeah. only thing that I'd like to add to that. Um, no, I, I, I really have to second that suggestion. And it also is, it, it's great for the dragon slayer moments. Okay. Yes. The, the, the reality of the way the initiative system works and well, it's not just limited to this game. It's really any initiative system where you have that mm-hmm. is, is like, even with a, even with, they call it the dragon slayer example, because, okay, you have a group of adventurers fighting a dragon, mm-hmm. even though it's a dragon at high XP play, if all six of them happen to get a pot shot off, 
before yeah. the dragon gets a chance to go, it can't activate defensive abilities. I mean, it may have adversary, true, but it can't it can't do anything, right? Mm-hmm. But you give that dragon multiple initiative slots, mm-hmm. and that becomes much less of a problem. And mm-hmm. they're just super fast. They get to move into defensive positions for themselves. They get to take defensive stance, like all kinds of interesting stuff you can do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And another, and probably just while we're thinking about this, one last point is environment. Yeah. Environment is something that isn't used a lot. And I think that the setback dies, you said before, and, I, and I'm a big proponent of the setback die as well, is that more setback die is great, more upgrades are great. Uh, and if you've got an environment that they're going to have to be dealing with as well, and I know that we've had this request as, as a show topic at some point down the track, is to talk about environments and, and how that actually works yeah. and how you yeah. can increase the level of your threats just by putting it in, you know, a lava stream or something like that so that there are stakes. And you talk about stakes before when it comes to the the overall story. Well, there's a stakes that are in the actual encounter itself that if you happen to fall or you're flying around and suddenly somebody hits you with a dispel, you're going to basically die and you don't want that. So using your environment can also really help. It can slow down play if you're in uh, in an environment where there is a lot of um, difficult terrain, for example, that can't be uh, understated enough. Um, That, that's going to slow down where characters are moving to because everything is double the cost. And it means yeah. then that if you've got NPCs that are flyers uh, and are shooting down at them or whatever else, characters aren't going to be able to jump away fast enough. So, Dude, dude, acting acting underwater gives you setback die. But, yeah. oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, the NPCs have an aquatic ability where they don't suffer setback die. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. And it's just Bubble. simple little things like that. Yeah. That um, that you don't need to change anything as they get higher uh, higher in play, and uh, I, I'm really going to highlight what you said before about the challenging the PCs narratively. There is nothing better than story when it comes to this. Yes, you can have your combats, and if a combat lasts two rounds, so be it. Obviously, make sure that that combat does have a reason why it happened in the first place. Otherwise. You know, if you're dealing with a small garrison or something like that in a fantasy setting and the PCs need to go in there to steal back something, fine. Hand wave it. There's very little resistance and they they move through the corridors or whatever else and then, then they get into the real challenging part. So, yeah. you know, narratively is a big deal because at that sort of level of play, they've been playing for a while and not only that, then they're probably not necessarily as interested and as invested in their stats, but more so perhaps the story. And that's about knowing your players. But um, but yeah, that's they're the only things that I'd like to add to your epic rant that was amazing. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, dude, yes. I'm 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 not I'm not I'm not joking. Seriously, um, yeah. Valentry, go go listen to Order sixty six podcast episode seventy six. So great episode. Great episode. What else we got? Now, next question from Captain Smitty, also known as Caleb Smith, um, who we've had on the show before. Uh, He asks via the Forge Discord channel again, how exactly does the duration of the disoriented item quality work? The item quality on page 87 of the core rulebook says, 
When disorient is triggered, one target hit by the attack is disorientated. Uh, see page 114 for a number of rounds equal to the weapon's disorient rating. So let's say a PC activates disorient 2 on a target NPC that already acted this round, then the current round ends. Does that NPC now effectively have disorient 1 because one of the number of rounds was used up? Conversely, page 114 of the core rulebook says, under the disorient status effect, if a set duration is not specified, disorientation lasts until the end of the character's next turn. So when the disorient item quality uh, specifically states rounds, is it safe to assume that rules as intended disorient to would affect the NPC's next two turns as opposed to triggering disorient at the end of a round and essentially wasting a turn of its effect because the round immediately ends. Thanks, and I never hammer. <laughs> wow, that's brilliant, Caleb. That's, that's uh, brilliant. I mean, dude, 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 at- dude, yeah, he's no, he's right. That's, I mean, that's how I run it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So it basically is if it's if they're affected by the disorient, uh, it's the to the end of their next turn. So if it's disorient one at the end of their next turn, whenever that might be, that's when it basically stops. If it's disorient two, you go through one round of theirs, and then the next round of theirs at the very end, yeah. that's when two it, turns. Yeah, two, two turns. turns. Simple as that. So yeah. Uh, so yeah. I think that's yeah, pretty. And, and it's yeah, <laughs> long yeah, question, pretty, simple answer. <laughs> very, 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 very simple. Very, very simple answer. Very simple answer. Now, where it gets weird mm-hmm. is if you and I've had this happen. Mm-hmm. If you're running the aforementioned NPC with multiple initiative slots in around. Mm-hmm. Well, it still applies. <laughs> same, same way. So it, it's their next turn. It doesn't yeah. say when that turn is going to be. Yeah. Uh, it just even, says for the next turn. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, but it says rounds, but even then, it, it should say turns. Yeah, Treated yeah. as turns. Yeah. Treated as turns. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Active turns. Not if they're taking an off action turn because somebody gave them a special ability or something like that. No, yeah. no. Just, you know, uh, their initiative turn. Correct. Indeed. Very good. Next question. <laughs> um, also coming in from the Forge Discord server, Trollbait, um, who asked the following. What XP level do you find is best for a one-shot? What about pre-made characters designed to teach people the game slash setting? Man after my own heart. <laughs> Man or woman, I don't know. Could be, could be a woman. Mm. An individual after my own heart. <laughs> like Huli, Huli, you know, like like fifty percent to seventy five percent of my gaming is one shot. One shots, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's what I do. Yep. Um, it's what I have time to do. <laughs> um, yeah, dude. Um, like, <clears throat> and and in in any convention game I put together with pregens, mm-hmm. um, it. If it's an average one-shot with experienced players, people who know how to play the game, the system, I typically go with beginner characters plus 30 earned XP. Um, Because, I mean, it it lets them get into tier two, maybe a tier three talent at that point, Mm -hmm. which for a one-shot especially, you you don't... 
they're, they don't have the time, like they, they just don't have the time to absorb it. And every single time I go higher than that, every single time I go higher than that, I have at least half my players at the table who completely forget about talents or abilities they have. Mm-hmm. Because it's just, it's just, it's too, it's too much. You got, you got 10 minutes to digest the character. You didn't pick it yourself. So there's no memory. Okay. Mm. And you just don't want to go more than a handful of talents. You just don't. Mm. And there's there's also, there's no appreciation of the talents either because you haven't been through the life of the character. Like you've got used to having this particular uh, talent and then it's got a follow up talent where you've already got used to that and now we're going to increase it, especially for the, you know, improved and supreme talents. Um, that, you know, you, you've worked out that and now you've got this to work out and then you've, you build on that. So, so yeah, a lot of it also also comes down to the, um, a lot of it also comes down to like the adventure I'm going to be running and the pre-gens themselves. So like, I I hate to say it, but giving a pre-gen PC inspiring rhetoric or (laughs) Like is inspiring rhetoric is just like yay okay fine hey you recovered a strain here you go all right <laughs> thirty XP earned lets me get them to improved okay mm-hmm. which with that beautiful blue boost die and that's what everyone who goes down that talent tree wants. path wants mm-hmm. so yeah mm-hmm. um I I won't say it applies for skating tirade because doing strain damage to somebody with your words is still pretty nasty, mm. especially if they're a minion or a rival. Mm. Um, Indeed. Yeah. Especially, especially if your minion goes, I can't handle it anymore because it's not real damage. So, <laughs> and they run away. And they Mommy. run away. Mommy. Yes. What about beginner players, man? Well, he, it was sec- a- the second part of his question, yeah? So I think for beginning players, introducing them the system don't shy away from beginning characters. Yeah. It's like don't overwhelm them. Show them the system first. And, you know, occasionally you might have one talent, which is only going to be a five-point talent, but make sure that it's an interesting talent so that at least they're going to go, oh, I can use that. I don't know. Yeah. Like my favorite, knack uh, <laughs> for it. <laughs> I love that talent. Um, Great talent. But- that they can basically use that in any situation, and it's very, very simple. And it's going to give them that, well, I've got the GM. <laughs> when he gives me uh, three um, setback die, I'm going to remove two of them, GM. Aren't I great? And they're going to think a lot about that in the system, and they're going to feel really good about themselves. So from a psychological perspective, that's pretty cool too. So, yeah, but don't shy away from beginning characters. Some of the most some of the most enjoyable one shots I've ever run have been with beginner characters, mm. beginner character XP. And I mean, even the box sets. When you look at uh, things like the Star Wars box sets, and I think they did these really well. Is that about halfway through the adventure? Because you've got starting characters halfway through the adventure, you get to choose what talents or skills, and they have a range of them that you can do. I think that's a great idea. Because it's showing another aspect of the game as well. Oh man, for 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 Gamer Nation Con five was it five or six? I forget. We had uh, Katrina Ostrander Lee 
Oh, that was amazing. Whom, whom we've obviously had guests in on this podcast early on. Um, yeah, yeah. And w- when she was running her games, that's what she did with all the pregens. Is it, mm. it was just a one? It was a one shot, so it wasn't middle of the road. But but as she handed them the character sheets initially, it was like you know ninety percent of it is this is the pregen. Here's some choices. Decide: Do you want this character to do you know have ranks in this or ranks in that, or have this ability mm. or that ability? Yeah. Um, and she did that for both Star Wars and L five R and. It was brilliant, but yes. that's also that's also where we and if you've ever read her stuff, you know her blog especially. But that was all where we all just sat in awe of her GMing skills because she's a phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal GM and storyteller. Absolutely, um, she had a crowd around the table just watching the sessions. It was that good. People were taking freaking notes. Like <laughs> she, it's it's why she's the leader of the story group. <laughs> Yeah, she's just phenomenal. I can't speak um, more highly for about Kat. She's just yeah, top notch GM, top notch storyteller, and she knows her stuff. Yeah, she does. Yeah, she does. And uh, yeah, yeah, she does. But something else, uh, just in this sort of realm that I've I've done it as well. When you mentioned thirty XP, I've tried fifty. And what's interesting is that I've run into the problem that you just mentioned. When you've gone over that next level, it becomes a little bit too yep. overcomplicated. Yep. So just, 30 XP is a, is a really – I can vouch for that because it, yeah. when I would add 50 XP, it would get – there would be a few talents that get thrown in that go, players forget them. If you do – if you do – if you do – if you do beginner characters and then give them 30 earned XP beyond that and you build, and you build a pre-gen, like – you that's that's enough to get you one bump to three, okay, mm-hmm. on characteristics, mm-hmm. decent skill layout, decent, okay, f- to whatever they're specialized for, and three to four talents, yep. okay. You you don't want to go more than that. You just don't. Yep, indeed. The other thing that that I've known that some people do, <coughs> you, um, is that you can also leave the rules behind. Depends on how it's presented. If you present it like it is in uh, as the the pyramid, players are going to expect the pyramid to be filled in correctly, so that it's got the you know the right number. Oh, of, that of that takes way ones. too much space on it. Yeah, that just takes way too much exactly. Space on the character sheet. So when you don't have that, you can basically throw in a couple of talents that are going to be useful specifically to the adventure that you're running that they may not necessarily have otherwise would have got because they haven't got prerequisites for lower talents because they don't make a lot of sense. You can breach the rules for a one-shot. You, you can. For a one-shot, absolutely, especially if it's, if it's thematic. But this comes down to experience and designing pre-gens. Yeah. And, and, you know, you know, and, and the other thing, too, for a one-shot is always err on the side of the players. Like yeah. always, uh, it sounds strange to say always err on the side of OP when you're going to make pre-gens because you want the, the whole point of a one-shot is you want the players to have a fun time. If you're at a convention, they've paid to play. Mm. So show them a good time. Let them, let, them be, let them be big damn heroes. Indeed. And now we have one final question, and it is a little bit of a doozy. Um, and it's from Dexter, on the, uh, who is uh, Dexter on the Genesis community server, who sent us an email, which reads, I'm hoping for some advice on social combat with an asymmetrical number of players versus NPCs. If, say, there's one NPC versus four players, do each get an initiative slot or just the main player? What about strain damage? Do each of the players take the same strain damage or only the leading player? 
And if there's only one leading player, how do the others help out? (laughs) It's an interesting one, but firstly, I'm going to point people to a product which is on the Genesis Foundry. Uh, And that's actually Boost, which is uh, a community-based publication, uh, which is free for download. You can take a look at it. And in the last uh, release that they did, which had some uh, quite interesting encounters, um, one of them was a social encounter. Mm -hmm. And the author of it uh, did an absolutely fantastic job of doing a rundown of how it would work. So as an example of social combat. And the story was it was a character who um, had to, a group of characters who basically had to go and negotiate with a um, uh, a council to get something to happen. And it showed exactly how it would work, where there was, you know, not just one NPC, but there were four NPCs. Um, and there were four players. And so it just goes to show how you can use certain abilities and how the, the whole strain pool works as you progress through combat uh, or social combat. So it's uh, really, really helpful. And this will probably answer your question if you haven't looked at it already, but please do. Um, but basically, uh, as we mentioned before, where you've got rivals who have additional actions. This is a perfect place to go and do that uh, because it's only going to affect whoever's doing the skill. So you would always have a caller, for want of a better term, who is going to be the person who is being the spokesperson for the party. They're going to be the target. And the same sort of thing with there's going to be a major NPC um, who's going to be a rival more than likely, who's going to be the target of those attacks. Now, one of the things that um, the author of, of the example that I was talking about before in Boost, they actually had a bit of a rule set in there that that it's sort of like a minion group, but as a rival. And it's an interesting thing. I'm not going to go into it now. Go and read the, the download Boost, take a look, but it's a, a really good example of how they did it almost as a group strain pool. And when they were attacking, yeah. they were attacking the council. And it was really, really good. Um, but, yeah, it's only one NPC and one player. And then everybody else links into that. Now, if, uh, if a player drops down because of their strain threshold or whatever else, uh, and somebody else jumps into that seat, the hot seat for want of a better term, then they, they're the ones that start to be affected by the strain. So it's whoever's going to be targeted, basically, is who ends up taking the strain. Yeah. And if they're, if they're, all, in, they're all in the social combat and you're even in, uh, they're all in initiative, mm. that's the thing. The NPC's got to target one of them to suffer the strain. That's right. And, exactly right. And you can, as a GM, you can take whatever rules you want. You can say if one of the players drops out, that could be it for the party. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. You can, <clears throat> you can absolutely say that. Assuming they're all involved in the social. I mean, yeah, that's it. But yeah, if they want to assist, man, they got to be an initiative. I mean, mm. even if they're not, even if they're not doing anything, but, but lending an assist. Okay. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. 
I know that I've run a social combat, which, again, because Star Wars is something that I've played a lot of, um, is with um, uh, the the PCs were basically trying to um, tell a lie, for want of a better term, to this particular gangster. Uh, and uh, the gangster was already on to what they're on about. And I had all of the P- I ha- asked all the PCs, what are they doing? Uh, and this went down to one role, but the scenario took a little bit of time because I was asking, okay, well, what are you doing? And I think the the technician who was who could do nothing as far as social combat says, um, I'd like to make a PowerPoint presentation to <laughs> or something similar. I've got yeah, that's pretty cool. right. <laughs> I'll I'll give you a boost eye for that. Um, and just adding in all of these different things to do it um, made a lot of fun. But everybody has to, as you say, Chris, everybody has to be in initiative order and be saying this is what we're going to do to assist the main guy. And it could be stuff like I'm going to go out and research something in the computer outside uh, and it could be a computer's check and then you determine what that's going to be. Um, so the, it, it does need to be in initiative order. Something else that I want to mention as well is when you're talking about only targeting one character, um, in the EPG, there is, on page 108, there's a new rule, which is called group leaders. Um, and it talks about the size of the group, um, where they get an addition to their strain threshold. So if you're negotiating with the leader of a town, for example, if the town has, you know, got over 200 people, for example, um, and all of the PCs are basically attacking that one character, their strength threshold increases specifically for this by 20. So that means that, yes, you've got more people that are going to be attacking the one target if it's in free-for-all, um, yeah. but they're going to be protected a little bit more. And the other thing to remember is that you don't have to bring people to complete submission. You can just reach half their strain threshold and they yeah. end up in a compromise. That's yeah. something else to, to remember as well. A- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I agree with everything you just said, man. Um, yeah. It's all phenomenal advice. Um, there's a, You can't do this every time, but one of the more successful avenues I've had with at least the, the social encounters that my players talk about for years afterwards that they were, where those, those, those session moments that they really remember. Um, we had one where we, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the group. It was, it was the party face, um, versus, and it was, it was a noble. They were, they were, you know, in, in front of a very large council in that setting, basically trying to call out this person's nefarious activities. Um, while at the same time defend the party's activities to prevent them from being arrested. Hmm. Um, and it was one of those classic, you know, courtly social encounter situations. <laughs> the The party face was the one targeting and the one being targeted. And correspondingly, I just had one threat, which was the NPC. But mm. I still put them all in initiative order. And the other four PCs <clears throat> on their turns would undertake other actions that were a part of the scene, but not the direct social combat. So for example, the, the sneaky stabby character in the group um, literally 
was making checks to sneak behind the aides of the noble that was being interacted with that was it that was the antagonist in the social combat and was literally trying to steal evidence and <laughs> things from from his aides attaches and portfolios okay right. and was successful okay mm-hmm. um and the the result of that was providing all kinds of of uh, boost die or setback die, depending on how the narrative went, to the either their allies check or their the the opponents check, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, we we had um, others others in the group, and I would reduce the difficulty appropriately. They they inserted themselves in the crowd, and like when they're when 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 the NPC would say something, they would go. Bah! <laughs> you know, and, and and have to make an appropriate check, you know, to to do that, um, yeah. or or you know, rile up the crowd when their compatriot would say something. So oh, he's making he's making a good point, you know, and they'd have to make their own check. It was <laughs> it was yes. fantastic, and they 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 played it so well. And you know, mm-hmm. you you can't always do that for everything, but um, the whole the idea of having the the one on one battle and then having ancillary activities happening that affect it. On on the side, the yep. true master of that who taught it to me as a GM was GM Brev. Right. Um, uh, where uh, uh, he 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 taught me how to do that and and, and honed it. We had one. Uh, it was a Star Wars game where their uh, GM Dave's character was actually a, a Wookiee meat wall <laughs> um, uh, of a Jedi with an anger management issue problem. <laughs> and <laughs> whatever body you need, <laughs> right. Uh, and at one point, in order to progress in the storyline, they were we were on a primitive planet, and uh, he, they wanted to have a, a a fight against their champion. So it was literally a stone pit where the two of them were having gladiatorial combat. Okay, right. And it was very tense. But the other party members were like, "Okay, well, I guess we'll just sit back while these two hash it out." But Brev's like, "No, roll yourselves into initiative." And as we do, he has us make checks, and we start noticing things like. And and it's this huge ceremonial thing, and the chieftain of these people's there, so we don't want to you know screw anything up or be you know disrespectful. Mm. But like you notice that there's an assassin, like climbing up into a perch to try and take a shot at Dave's character, right? And so got to go deal with that, right? And all all that's happening, you know, while this main. So so yeah, the idea of having this one on one combat as the focal point of the scene, but at mm. the same time, there's all these minor points that are essential to the story and the and the the encounter. It's hmm. totally viable. You can have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, and that's certainly something that any, as you said sort of before about any initiative system, that yeah. you can, because I, and I've said this before, I like to look at, at encounters or, or scenes as a movie scene. So, yeah. you know, the camera focuses in on the PC who's taking the social action. And then all of a sudden it's up to the person who's, um, you know, having to deal with the assassin. And then it's across there to, uh, to the next scene about, you know, whoever's going to be dealing with, uh, the, the crowd. And you can certainly, the players have a lot more creativity in that regard because of the initiative system that Genesis and, and Star Wars as well uses that you can jump in whenever you want as opposed to yeah, being sort of like tied absolutely. to that one thing. So. Go yeah. go watch go watch uh, Mission Impossible, the first one with Tom Cruise. Oh yes, and watch the first ten minutes where they're trying to sneak into this embassy, okay, <laughs> or, or the the first twenty minutes where they're trying to sneak into this embassy, and it's him and another PC, basically in a social encounter with security. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And and the camera's literally doing that. And it flips back and forth. And, oh, there's Emilio Estevez's character. And he's stuck in the ducks trying to hack into the computer system, right? Mm-hmm. To to make their checks successful, right? You've got another character in the wings who's making checks to distract security, you know, to mm-hmm. get them off their game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, dude. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. That's the way you should do social encounters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's actually where you can lead social encounters or link social encounters with combat encounters. So it's all happening all at once. It's like Absol- symmetry. <laughs> it's, like, it's like poetry. It rhymes. It's Very like poetry. good. <laughs> Very good. Good questions, guys. Thank you. Mm, thank you. Absolutely. But, Huli, I do believe that does, I hate to say it, bring us to the end of yet another show. It does. But how good is it to be back? Right. (laughs) Indeed. But we'll be back with a new episode soon. Well, sooner than last time at least. Uh, We've had some requests to return to Magic and to have some discussions on the new spells released in the Expanded Players Guide, uh, as also revisiting Conjure, which is not something that we talked a lot about uh, in the, uh, the, the Magic sections that we did before. Indeed, that, that that is on the docket. <laughs> <laughs> and we've also had some requests for discussions on social combat, as I mentioned before, as well as adventure design. Uh, but we'll also um, we're also seeking new listener questions. Um, so you know, let us know. Show us the topics you want to hear about. And if you guys do have questions on anything, or ideas, and requests for any show topics or mechanics you'd like us to dive into, you need to let us know. How can they do that, Huli? Well, they can email us at forgegenesis at d20radio.com or they can post it up via one of our many social media platforms where we have dedicated posts calling for questions. Just look for that burning question mark. Or better yet, you can find us on the social medias just by searching for at Forge Genesis. I've also been seeing some great conversations on the D20 Radio Discord channel. And of course, truly dedicated conversations with our Patreons on our very own podcast Discord server. And we would love to hear from you all. Don't forget, you can also join the even larger discussion in the D20 Radio Facebook group and Discord channel, where we nerds congregate to cross-pollinate. And uh, something else uh, not to forget, like or follow us um, on on any of the social medias, uh, Facebook um, and YouTube as well. Subscribe. Um, and you can also drop us a review so others can learn more about us and it bumps us up in the queue. Uh, you can also, of course, visit our website at forgegenesis.com. Well, that's a wrap for us. Thank you all for listening to this um, coming up to three hours. Uh, <laughs> but it's been fun. Um, and I hope that you'll join us next time as we continue to explore the Genesis role-playing game. I'm GM Hooley, may your triumphs be many and your despairs be few. And I'm GM Chris, wishing you peace, love, and good game. Thanks again for joining us. Say hi to your mum for me. And remember, The Forge Podcast, helping you hone your gaming edge. The Forge and Genesis RPG Podcast is a proud member of the D20 Radio Network. For more information about the network, visit d20radio.com. The Forge is a fan-generated podcast. All of the information provided on the podcast, social media, and related website is not affiliated with Fantasy Flight Games, Edge Studios, or any of their license source. 
The content of this podcast remains the property of the Forge Genesis RPG Podcast and is intended for educational and informational purposes only. The Genesis Rockland Game, Genesis Logo, Genesis Foundry, content and all material remain property of Edge Studio. All products available on the Genesis Foundry website remain the property of their respective companies and individuals. For more information about Forge Genesis RPG Podcast, visit ForgeGenesis.com.